Philosophy. Descartes. Debate. The Mep Report. Mep Report. Mep Report. The awesomest discussion podcast in the history of the human species. Oh, yeah! Let me tell you of an interview with an old man emu. He's got a beak and feathers and things, but the poor old fella ain't got no wings. Aren't you jealous of the wedge-tailed eagle? I'm better to da 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 Well, the eagle's flying round and round to keep my two feet firmly on the ground. Now, I can't fly, but I'm telling you, I could run the pants of a kangaroo. But I don't he can't fly, but I'm telling you, he can run the pants of a kangaroo. Is Russ ready? That's really the question. <laughs> oh, I'm ready, baby. Let's do it. Bring it. All right, in it. that case, welcome to Mep Report number 155, January 28th, 2018. It is 11, 11. It's 11, 11 p.m. 11, 11. It's 1, 1, 1, 1. So uh, I think that's a good sign. I think that's, that's good. And we are back with all of you. Uh, the entire gang is here. Story joins us from his phone because he is, uh, throw, he is, he's on a new small tech movement. So he's given up big things. Take that, get your war on, guy. I'm going <laughs> to Matt. Uh, good times, good times. So we are all here. We are ready to go. And uh, yeah, so hi, gentlemen. I, I, it is a pleasure to have everyone. I, I guess um, uh, I know that we've wanted to chat about this, and I feel like before we do anything else, see, exactly. Um, mm-hmm. Also, Russ has been replaced by a small child. Um, Which, really? Yeah. I think that's well said. I'm really glad that we've made the switch to the small child because I feel Lulu like... wants yeah. to analyze Moana instead of The Last Jedi. <laughs> instead of The Last Jedi. <laughs> I'd be all about that, man. I could talk about Moana for days. I love Moana. But, um, I think I memorized it at this point. Oh, so good. But um, I... Uh, yeah, no, we should definitely get to one of the things I know we wanted to talk about because Russ has been... Poor Russ has been chopping at the bit if he even remembers this movie anymore. And it is about Star Wars The Last Jedi, which we have now all seen and which we can now comment yeah. on. Russ, the floor is yours. Tell us why you think it's garbage. Um, so <laughs> I have like eight things to preface with before we get into an actual analysis of the actual Do movie. Do it up. Do it up. Quality of touch. Um, the first thing that just occurred to me just now is that I feel like we're doing our part to diffuse the 24-hour media culture that we live in by mm-hmm. waiting. We have like a simmering down period. So now it's been six weeks since the premiere of this right, movie. Right. We've all had our passion stoked in one way or another. And then we've had like a, a, a full zen uh, epoch of six weeks to think about this, epoch. how we feel, not care about it as much as we did the day of, and then try to revisit uh, this debate six weeks later. I think we're doing our part to... Um, to take everyone down like a notch that. from Fox I like News. That. I like that. I like that. And, and it should be said, by the way, that I'm uh, actually going to be doing tomorrow night, I'm uh, going to be uh, broadcasting on someone else's channel. I was invited to do a live uh, Twitch conversation on Twitch about this very movie. So I look forward really? to hearing all of your arguments and being able to yeah. pre-create them and pretend <laughs> that they're mine. So yeah. I'm, I'm looking forward to those. <laughs> That's the way to do it. Okay, so the yeah. first preface out of the way, let me get to the second preface, which is that I think uh, anyone's individual judgment of this movie, um, which as with anything has a lot to do with expectations, right? It has to do with, and, and their expectations has to do with their, in part, 
childhood relationship with Star Wars or lack thereof. You know what I mean? Okay, yeah. Yeah. So if you're just going in going, I kind of know what the rubric is. It's labeled a Star Wars movie, so I expect to see Force things and lightsaber things and a chosen one, and I hope it's fun. Then I think you will definitely enjoy The Last Jedi because it has all of those things on face. Okay. If you're like a lifer diehard who cares about like very specific plot elements and storylines and canon of the original trilogy, you're going to have a billion things to nitpick about this movie and it's going to cease to live up to your expectations. So, I mean, so my point of view is that I think Disney, having bought this thing and having taken, you know, decided to run this franchise, I think they, and I think it's actually clues to this point are seated within the movie, that -hmm. they have absolutely decided that the fanboys and the diehards are not who they are targeting, strangely enough, with this movie at all. I think they're targeting, I mean, this is, this is a movie made for worldwide consumption. It's made for universal consumption and worldwide release. And their objective is to get as many eyeballs on this as possible and have it be an enjoyable movie, even if you're in Russia and you don't really know what Star Wars is, or if you're you know, a Chinese person and you go to the movie theater and you see this movie that you don't know what it is. Like they wanna make it as universally palatable as, as possible. And so just on the basis of them having this point of view, Someone like me, who grew up with Star Wars and re- went to Return to the Jedi in the theater and collects Star Wars digital trading cards. And <laughs> like- That's not true. <laughs> like I'm a, I'm a diehard and by a diehard me, I mean, I'm let's say the 52 millionth largest Star Wars fan in this country. Like I don't think, I don't hold a candle to most people who are crazy about Star Wars, but yeah. I care enough that I'm, you know, maybe in the upper fifth of Star Wars fans. Okay. Um, so I think they, and I think the line, lines in the movie where they're like, uh, kill the past, let it die. Like that's a quote from the movie. Um, and then they end the movie with like a child, you know, looking up hopefully with force powers. Like the whole point, I think, or I'm sure there are many, but I think one of the points of this movie was that we are breaking with the old tradition of Star Wars movies that this is for the future generation of Star Wars fans who will be filling Disney parks when they're all Star Wars themed in the future. This is not, this movie is not for 40 year old dudes who are nostalgic about A New Hope. I just don't think that's who this movie is for at all. Um, so, well, what about what about 45 year old dudes that are sort of, you know. Yeah, definitely you know, not. The older arguing. you are, the less Disney cares about you. And I think that that's, okay. that's pretty much across the board, whatever franchise you're talking about, but certainly for okay. Star Wars. Gotcha. Um, and so what I wanted to ask Story is because like, yeah, Story, I know that you enjoyed this movie, but I also I at the same time have never heard you talk about Star Wars casually in your life. So, I mean, I, I assume that it's not an important thing to you. Well, so, I mean, it's interesting because I think that like, so I... Yeah, I mean, I definitely don't consider myself a fanboy in the way that you're talking about. I mean, I don't, I think that I like Star Wars. I mean, when the prequels came out, I often defended the prequels against a lot of their criticism by saying, like, I'm sorry, everything that you've said about the prequels is also kind of true about the original ones. Like, the dialogue in the original movies is cheesy as hell, right? Mm -hmm. The romance is not sophisticated or particularly, like, enthralling on a cinematic level. Like, it's silly. There's quips throughout. Like, it's all a little tongue-in-cheek and a little cheesy, and you can see behind it. And so, like, I really like Star Wars. I was 
at a midnight showing of all three of the prequels. I was, you know, I was there for that. I grew up with it on like the big laser disc or whatever else that like the, the failed technology that VCR replaced. Hell you know? yeah, laser disc. Um, yeah, exactly. The the giant plastic laser disc that I can still remember putting in the Watership Down movie and Star Wars and Dumbo and a couple of so like, <laughs> you know, I I I have a lot of fond memories of Star Wars. I think that I think that Star Wars is worse than most people who like Star Wars do. Mm-hmm. Like I think that like I I don't hold it in this like kind of revered state of like and then God Lucas came down upon the mountaintop with three movies and what, you know, and so, which is why I was like, I kind of enjoy the prequels too. Like the first one is pretty grating and hard to get through. And like, I'm not a fan of Jar Jar, but like, you know, certainly I thought the third prequel was, was actually quite good and was like certainly better than Return of the Jedi. So I agree um, that it was the best of the three for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And so like, I, I'm somewhere in the middle, right? Like, I am a big fan of Star Wars. I will continue to go in opening week as much as I can. Like, I still get really excited about it. I still get chills down my spine when I see the empty starry sky and then the roll starts and whatever, for sure. Um, but I'm not, like... I feel like I have a healthy distance compared to a lot of fans from, like, what it is or what it isn't, um, you know, as opposed to something, like, that I really love in a literary sense or, like, something that I think is a truly great film, like the Shawshank Redemption. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, I, and I guess, again, before getting into any of the actual specific mm-hmm. merits or, like, thereof of the movie, like, I, I, I feel that, and I... I was probably looking for things that don't usually exist in Star Wars movies. I was looking for better dialogue, which you're right, probably would never exist in a Star Wars movie. Mm-hmm. Um, I was looking for a little bit nuanced, you know, historical evaluation of things like the Force or the Sith, uh, which sure. had never really existed. Other than the prequels maybe started to approach some of the historicity of it, and then people hated them. They hated those. Yes. Um, <laughs> And they hated that aspect of it specifically, I think, too. Mm -hmm. Like, I mean, I will say the thing that I hated, the single biggest decision that mattered to the series that I hated in the prequels was the introduction of midichlorians, right? Because, like, the whole idea that the Force is actually just some biological thing that you're either, you got it or you don't because you're born with it, um, was, like, a total betrayal of what I had perceived the Force to be. Which is one of the things that I love about this movie is that it reclaims the force as actually democratic or widely available in a way that the prequels had gone hardly hard against that. That's true. Um, in and fact, that I, I actually think I really it, the movie. I yeah. actually think it completely jettisons midichlorians entirely. Right. I don't mm-hmm. think they mention that at all, which is good because it's a stupid, yeah. incredibly but, dumb. They, like, but also you know. in Ren not having a lineage. A, right. In, of course. Um, of course. Yeah. 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 Like, yeah in Ray. Right. Yeah, they learned a few things. They like never mentioned Jar Jar Binks ever again for any reason. <laughs> um, <laughs> no midichlorians. Uh, okay, so I have one more preface before I get into why I actually <laughs> didn't like the movie. Still the preface. Yeah. Still, okay. still prefacing. Cool. Uh, cool. So I think I've made this argument before, but I want to go a little bit more in depth into it uh, about Star Wars, which is mm-hmm. that Star Wars is the mainstream religion of U- the United States citizenry, period. Mm-hmm. People devote more time, more of their money. Uh, they, they ostensibly go to church in terms of getting into costume and going to these premieres and openings and opening <laughs> weekends and stuff like that. Um, they quote it you know, more than they would ever quote like a biblical quotation. Uh, the, the underlying philosophy, you know, whether, whether you want to call it the, um, 
the Buddhist uh, like force or whatever like that, that underlying philosophy, I think guides more people than uh, either the old or new Testament does. Um, so I like, I literally think that it has uh, superseded for most people. Like it is, it's not just like, obviously it's the cultural zeitgeist, but I think also it is in any conventional definition that you want to give it like the mainstream religion of this country. So given that I, I'm arguing that that's the case. Um, I totally get it just as, as, as has been the case with the religion over a long time, like um, as you know, Christianity evolved uh, different leaders at different times wanted to infuse Christianity with some of the dogma of the particular day to make Christianity more palatable to like, you know, newly conquered peoples or things like that. So like uh, the Holy Roman empire had different um, values that they were professing that Christianity had than the reformists or the Lutherans or what have you. And so similarly, like I know one of the big complaints about this movie is like that there's so much like feminism infused into the movie. Um, I don't really have a problem with that. I just think that that's just kind of a symptom of what happens when you have uh, a meme, an ideological meme that has so much mind share of everyone that's out there that everyone wants to infuse, you know, the going things into that meme. So I think that's kind of what's going on. Um, I don't know if you guys, that's a little too much to dump on you guys or whatever. No, I mean, I, I, because I, you've talked about that religion, Star Wars is the religion of the US before. And I think that's, I think there's something to that. I understand what you mean. It also seems like a sort of safe secular religion because uh, it's vague enough not to be offensive. It's, it's broad enough to have a lot of power. It's cool enough to draw in even the sort of cynical. So, um, you know, yeah, I think, I think that's, I think that's reasonable. Um, and yeah, it sounds right. Yeah, to me. like now I, I'm not saying that people believe that this, like this, this stuff actually happened a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. But I also think that there are a lot of people who consider themselves deeply religious who don't consider the Bible a historical text. They consider it more of a, a metaphor and a guide for yep. morality and living rather yep. than things that actually happen. So yep. Yep. in that sense, I think you can take it as a religion. Yep. Um, okay. So here's why I didn't like the movie. Here we go. <laughs> All right. Point the first. <laughs> Point the first. The very first thing that happens in the whole movie completely took me out of the movie. The first thing that happened was that Poe makes like a Bart Simpson-esque prank call to General Hux in a Star Destroyer as if General Hux is Moe at Moe's Tavern. And it's just like... <sighs> You know, you guys know what I'm talking about. He makes these like, "There's your, I'm still holding for General Hawks." Yep. Oh, yep. so because yep. your mom. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, and here's my problem with this whole thing. It's not just that the humor didn't land because I felt like 95% of the humor didn't land for me in this movie. Um, I think the reason that it didn't land is because it's a new kind of humor that I just don't like generally, which is this postmodernist breaking the fourth wall humor where right. we're, we're winking at the audience and going, we're making a movie, you guys. Remember how you like Star Wars? Well, now it's with jokes in it. Yeah. Uh, and it's like nobody in that situation, in that time and place, would ever do that. Like, of course, there were people arguing that, like, does the Star Wars universe even have, like, phones and operators and holding? Like, does that even exist in their world such that you can, that reference makes sense to them? Oh, my Disney's coming again. I was just going to say. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Hi, everybody. <laughs> Come with me. You're under arrest. 
Um, so, and it, that happens throughout the movie and it's certainly not unique to Star Wars. It happens in every movie now, seemingly. We're like, we can't have contextual humor anymore. All the humor has to be like, you turn and look at the audience directly and be like, I'm in a movie right now, which is why uh, we were just watching I, Tonya last night and it was in this, um, it was a good movie. I liked I, Tonya, but it was in this kind of, it was in this kind of uh, formulaic uh, documentary style that was um, pioneered by Scorsese where like the main character has to look up at the audience and like comment on what's going on. Um, and I get, you know, maybe you can get away with that because it's a documentary style movie. Star Wars ain't a documentary style movie where you can just be like, hey, wink, wink, audience. Just like have the characters be committed to what they're doing and have them care about their own universe. And like, just because, I mean, I get it. Maybe because this is the eighth movie now it's like nobody cares anymore certainly ryan johnson didn't care there are a million examples of how he doesn't give two shits about many of the things that were happening in the storylines and with the given characters and he was just like having fun didn't care but to me that humor never lands i mean i can give you an example of like humor that i think works that doesn't have to be a wink wink uh, postmodernist breaking the fourth wall from the movie or from had no, they done it from okay. Moana because it's a movie I watch every oh yes seconds. okay <laughs> so, great movie so there's a mo- there's a moment in Moana when the grandmother's dancing on the rocks by the ocean and Moana's like is there something you want to tell me and the grandma's like is there something you want to hear and Moana's like you're acting really weird and the grandma's like I'm the village crazy lady that's my job and that's like legitimately funny because she's stating a truth about herself within the context of the story, rather than saying something like, uh, well, you know, in this type of movie, it's time for me to give you important information and then like destroying yeah. the reality of, you know, of where they are. Yeah, I agree that, that uh, breaking the fourth wall works precisely when it happens, works precisely because it happens so little. So when you have something which is just kind of lazily, you know, guess what? We're still, you're still what? Like, haha, break out of your immersion. And part of this is the postmodern desire, is the postmodern fear of ever actually enjoying anything. So just being sort of sucked in, like, nope, nope, don't, hey, are you being sucked in? Because if you're sucked into something, you're not as smart and you're not intelligent if you really enjoy something. That proves that you've been sucked in and you've been allowing someone else's narrative to dominate you know, and all that bullshit, um, which is one reason that postmodernism needs to go die in a fire. But it, it's, it's that idea which they, would, which they would... Sorry, say again. How do you actually feel? <laughs> and they would do... And they would, I would say that and then I'd be like, or maybe I'm kidding if I were being postmodernist and ironic. Right, yeah, um, exactly. They wouldn't, even, they 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 wouldn't even like suffer in the fire because they'd be like, ha I expected that this would happen to me. And every, you know, like... I love- Love fire. I love fire. Or do I? Ha <laughs> ha. Anyway, the problem yeah. for me with that opening scene actually was mostly the reason the humor of that part fell flat for me is because I could not possibly care less about the insufferably irritating Hux. Who cares? How did this guy who is right out of Oxford Debate Union failed tryout central <laughs> casting, how does that guy exactly get up on a bridge? What exactly, what power does he demonstrate? What influence? Like if you look at Star Wars New Hope and you, you look at the two big evil figures that we have on screen, it's Darth Vader and it's Grand Moff Tarkin, right? The reason Tarkin works is because he's played as a genuinely intimidating figure who even though he's small of frame and and whatever but he's just basically like he's like vader stop this bickering it's pointless like you feel like he's got authority you prefer a target a military target you know all of that makes him feel like a guy that you're like this guy's kind of a badass albeit not a jedi here they're just like 
let's make this really obnoxious guy and put him together with the really obnoxious emo guy. And for some reason, Kylo Ren is supposed to give a shit about the existence of uh, Hux and anyone else in the world is supposed to give a shit that Hux is ordering things to happen. Like, just totally un unconvincing, who cares? So for me, the reason that humor fails is because I don't particularly like Poe, who they really are trying to make Han Solo, and he's not. And besides that, I really don't like Hux, who is just complete waste of time to me. So that's the well, reason that whole he's thing. He's a caricature. I mean, part of the point, and I, I agree 100%. But he's a stupid caricature, right? Yeah, like he's, he's, an awful, he's an awful caricature. He's just like, I'm now going to exhibit all of the stereotypical characteristics of a villain without having any personality, any character, any backstory. Like, uh, I think... And I think this is the case with like quite a number of characters that are in the new uh, trilogy, which yes. is that if the previous movies didn't exist, these characters couldn't exist. The only reason they can exist is because, okay, as a Star Wars fan, I know they're supposed to be like an old haggard wizard type person. So this person fills that role, even though they have no story of their own. And I know they're supposed to be some British villainous straight laced character, even though this particular character has no story of their own. And I know they're supposed to be some like emotional abandoned person who's wondering about their future, even though this particular person doesn't have a story. You know what I mean? So I, I feel like a lot of it, it doesn't just rest on the, the previous narrative of what happened to the previous characters, but like all of the archetypes are played so thinly in this movie because maybe it's more postmodernist where it's like, you guys, you guys know the archetypes, you know what you're going to see. So we'll just, We'll just give you some new ones and we won't we won't bother getting too into those. But like those are the yep. characters of your movie. Yep. Agree. And and by the way, if I may just sort of jump in to say for a minute that uh snarky humor is my least favorite and I think most lazy form of humor that exists for the reasons that I've already expressed. That doesn't mean that you can't occasionally be snarky and have it be really funny but you do that as something which is a break from the normal fare and it doesn't require you, you know, and it, it, you do it because it works within the context of how you're normally constructing jokes. And otherwise the constant snarkiness is basically just an excuse for you to avoid having to actually having to construct humor that works. So anyway, that's just a side note, but whatever. So I agree with you, although I, I you know, I will not agree with you on everything. I do agree with you on this. I didn't, the joke was dumb and I didn't, whatever like i didn't care about i was like i don't care about Hux, so. but i'm one for one maybe you will agree with me on everything i doubt it but go on um do you, story do you have any well, the story wants to weigh in on the awesomeness of Hux. I, I don't want to go through the whole i mean i no, i mean i don't you know a lot of why i love the movie is that i think that he that i mean a i love ryan johnson and that may be prime the pump a little bit but um i I felt like he was dealt a not great hand. I mean, here's the thing. As my meta thing, and I don't want to get into like my full case of it, but in, in defense of some of the decisions that may not have been ideal, and I agree with you, like I don't like totally disagree with either of those critiques. Like I think I found the thing a little bit more amusing than you guys did, and I don't know. I feel this also may be more like that I identify self-identify as a millennial where you guys both identify as Xers, even though Russ and I are only a year apart and not even a year like yeah, months, but like, right on the border. Russ definitely definitely feels more like Gen X culture and I definitely identify as millennial and um and that's like that's just part of it. So I, I found that more amusing but also more in character with with Poe than 
you know, it sounds like y'all did. So, but I also think that like, while I really liked The Force Awakens, uh, someone made the case that you either love one and hate the other or vice versa, which I think is interesting. But like, as we talked about on the last map report about this, The Force Awakens is like total comfort food, right? It's just like, here is everything you've ever wanted. We're not going to be the prequels. We deny the existence of the prequels. Here is, and I feel like all the archetype stuff and all of that stuff was, was established in The Force Awakens of like, we're rebooting it with the same characters that you know and love, and it's retread, 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 retread. And I was like, I like this because it feels comfortable, but it's like, it feels comfortable in the way that a heroin coma does. It's like, I know it's not actually good for me. It's not making me do any work. It's not making me think. And I feel like Ryan Johnson, especially because he's inv- he's doing the next trilogy, looked at this and was invested in it. Is like, okay, no, like I cannot just do total reboot, total retread. I'm too original. This is too uninteresting. Um, like, let's do some actually new things and take some risks. And yes, it was like all meta signaled of like, this is not going to go how you think, says Luke Skywalker. Mm. But it's really Ryan Johnson talking. And like, the old needs to die, says Kylo Ren. But it's really Ryan Johnson talking. And I like that because it's challenging and more interesting. And I think that he kept the spirit of Star Wars without actually literally making... Star Wars 8, the exact same thing as all the other Star Wars movies you've seen. And so well, I'll flesh that out more. But like, so yes, I agree that like Hux is an archetype, although I love Dom Mel Gleeson and like everything else he's in is amazing. Yeah, he's in every he's major movie he's everywhere. Every, he's a great actor. He's everywhere and he's phenomenal. He is he is most underused in this role, obviously. Although I, I, I will I, say I'm, that one of my I'm favorite- sorry, Don who? Domhnall Gleeson. He's an Irish actor. He's the he was one of the, the Weasleys. I think he played both he of the Weasley was, twins, right? Yes. He was, char- he was um, um, No, no, no. He was he was one of the oldest Weasleys. He was like. Did you see um, like Bill Weasley or whoever? I've only ever was, seen the first. He was in About Time, which was an incredible movie. Did you see Ex Machina, which was one of the greatest sci-fi Ex Machina, movies which was decade. like the best no. movie of all time that I've I went. Seen. I introduced he Russ was to. In it was a critical episode yeah. of Black Mirror, which I love. I haven't. Seen oh it. yeah, yeah, that too. Yeah, yeah. He yeah he's okay. in. <laughs> Who did he play in this movie? Greg, he's in every movie. He's of not, the last three not, years, how have you not seen? Because, because I have not seen guy. many movies in the last three years. What 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 did he? What did he play in he's Last Hux. Jedi? He's General Hux, the guy oh, who gets General Hux. Yeah, I. Uh, okay, well, here's hoping for better second impressions then, because God. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I mean, and in he, fairness, he, I guess I didn't really hate the actor because I just kept thinking what an incredibly shitty character Hux was. So maybe I just I don't know, but I. I'm not overwhelmed with his ability, but that's based. He's in the movie Brooklyn, which is a great movie. I haven't seen. Oh, that, that too. I forgot. I literally about that. haven't yeah. seen anything no. you guys are talking about except for. This I movie. have seen all of these things, and they're all amazing. I, all right. Yes, I agree. <laughs> I agree, though. Hux is his weakest role, um, and like, but like, I feel like to a certain extent, like Ryan Johnson, like, could not literally burn down the entire hand he was dealt. Right? Like, he he kills off, you know, what's his face, whether he dude, um, you know the. Snoke. He, like he kills off Snoke. Thank you. He kills off Snoke. He kills off all of these people. Like, so I feel like if he had also had Hux go down in a ball of flames and whatever, then it would have been bad. And I do love the last scene Hux is in where he's like, do you think you got him? <laughs> like that, 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 that may is, be that's pretty the, funny. That's, that's a, that, that may have is, been one of the best lines in the movie when he throws all of that firepower yeah. and it's like this gratuitous rage. And he's like, do you think you got him? And then of course the answer is no. Now I, I do. And then the answer that, is, Oh, I mean, that was a great moment. That is funny. That is pretty funny humor. Although, again, it seems so utterly incongruous for a character 
to say that and also be in charge of this ridiculously powerful military empire. Like it just the, the thing well, about everyone used to joke about dealing with the immaturity of Kylo Ren, right? Like, well, right. Yeah. I mean, but that's the problem, right? right? Like th this is and this is the thing. It's like it really is, you know, the stereotypical millennial Star Wars empire, because like on a, the, the whole thing about the New Hope was everyone used to joke like everyone in the, you know, all the bad guys have British accents, but there, there was a certain gravitas, right, provided in the age and the quality of it where it was the stodgy empire against the rebels sort of fighting for themselves instead of uh, emo heroes, emo enemies, emo everybody, everyone's emo, everybody is snarky, everyone's postmodernist. And at a certain point, I'm like, is there anyone over the age of 40 who even lives in this universe? Like, do, do like besides Luke, like, is everybody who we promptly kill off? Like, is there anybody that exists that anyone should listen to who's actually over the age of 40? Which, I just had a weird you know, flash forward in my mind um, to millennials complaining about the Star Wars that gets made 30 years from now. And they're like, do all of these characters in the new Star Wars have to have cybernetic implants just because all the kids have cybernetic Is implants Is there anyone over now? the age of 10 in this movie? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we just don't like it because it's a movie made for a generation that, again, that are not a self-identified member of this generation. That's... No, I think there are actual concrete reasons why it's still bad. No. I okay, give us some more. Bad. Okay. Give us some more. That was only the one. So, okay. So to go along the lines of the, the Ryan Johnson thing, um, I've yeah. done a ton of reading about this and I've listened, uh, uh, you know, I've listened to all of the critiques of the various things. I mean, one of the really well-trodden critiques of this that you've probably already heard a million times is mm -hmm. that he does. And so first of all, we found out after the fact that Disney had no plan for the plot, right? They didn't go, sure. here are the arcs of these various characters, right, right, and here are right. some plot points that we hope you hit, but you can write whatever mm -hmm. movie you want. They're just like, I don't know. We JJ tried really hard to make people like a Star Wars movie after the prequels, so now it's your turn. And he's like, really? That's obvious. it? That's yeah. it? You don't have yeah. a plan? They're like, nope. We planted a lot of seeds, but it's your garden, so go to it. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, but I, and yeah, I mean, basically, he did. He took every single seed that was planted and he like ripped it out of the ground and was like, nope, 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 nope. So, I mean, my problem with that is that. That's his problem? Sorry. Oh. My problem is that my I got assassinated. Ryan Johnson's mom got to you. The Disney mafia. <laughs> no, that, this like, is Russ. Russ has got the lightsaber me. through. Yeah. All, Russ has got no like the lightsaber through his midsection, exactly. right? Like, right. <laughs> my problem is that. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I also want to say that I, before I tell you the actual point, is that I had a very extended debate with a longtime harder core Star Wars fan than I did, who's a close friend of mine, who's very intelligent. And I respected a lot of his defenses um, against these points that I made, which I'll bring up. Oh, later. okay. I um, thought you were being a little muted about it. So I was like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, and he, he made some good defenses of these things, but here are my critiques anyway. So, okay. So Snoke died. Why, mm -hmm. as an audience member, are we supposed to care that Snoke is dead? What do we know about Snoke other than he's exactly like General Hux, which is a caricature based on an archetype that we've seen before, which is the old grizzled Sith monster who has an apprentice more powerful than he, that he's in control of. Like we know nothing about Snoke. Part of the point of The Force Awakens, as much as I didn't care about it that much, was that it was planting seeds and giving you hints that this, like who, like, there was so much speculation in the Star Wars community of like, who is this guy? 
How did he become to be in charge of the first order? How did he become so powerful? Why is he scarred? Why is he so old? What are the Knights of Ren? The, this group that, that Kylo Ren goes around with collecting ancient Sith artifacts. Oh, that sounds fucking super interesting. What, what about the, like, we get nothing about those guys. Snoke just dies without any evidence about who he was or why he was there. It was just Ryan Johnson just throwing, and I get it, it's his movie, he can do what he wants, but like, why should we care, or Phasma, why should we care that Phasma, well, I think she died, why should we care? If, if she died, why should we care? What do we know about her? Why was she even, I mean, other than the fact that they're selling action figures of Phasma, why is she an important character in these first two movies? Nothing that happened in either of the movies demonstrates that she is a consequential character at all, other than the fact that she wears like a silver stormtrooper suit as opposed to a regular one. Like, why are these, why are these main characters? So this is, um, and I'm, I'm going to be sounding like, as I said, I also liked uh, The Last Jedi, although I have to say that I like it less now than I did when I first saw it, but I still like it. I still think it's good. Um, as I said before, I thought that it was a movie that uh, I, I don't understand the incredible weight people are putting on it because I just don't think it's that important a movie either way. Um, but, uh, you know, whatever, I'll talk about my little preambles when we get to that, but I do want to say in response to this. So, so I, but I, I'm prefacing it with, this is going to, this is not just going to be me being negative all the time about a movie, which I actually liked, but I have to say that I also had a huge problem with Phasma and mostly anything to do with Finn, who I think has been tragically wasted as a character now for two movies. I have no idea why Finn, literally Finn has had nothing to do with anything else going around the outside of like a movie and a half. Like you could basically take Finn's portion out and you could take Phasma out and you'd have the same movie with no impact on the central plot. And that is something which is not the case with Star Wars movies in the past, where the plot lines are much more, and I think much better, interwoven. And you don't have this sense of like, here's this stuff, like, like basically this whole movie felt that this part of the movie, this, this particular portion felt side questy to me. Like, first of all, they literally, Finn and Rose go on a side quest. And like, everyone is just supposed to, you know, stop and go, all right, let's look at the side quest. Okay, interesting. And then go back to the story that actually really matters. And, and so Phasma to me was part of that. It's like, it's like the MMO defeat Phasma, you know, like kill Phasma, gain a number of experience. Like, you know, and like, I'm sorry, her saying like, you know, you're just a blip in the grid or a blip in the machine or whatever the hell that was. And then just fall into her death. Like, so Finn gets a heroic moment, which is awesome, but has nothing whatsoever to do with anything else um, is just bizarre to me. So I think I agree with you about Phasma, but I think that that's probably a bigger, really connected to the bigger problem I have, which is that they set up this movie, this sequence, this trilogy as being a story of basically Ray, Finn, and Poe as the sort of main new characters, and then make Poe into a Han Solo clone, waste the hell out of Finn, and leave you with Ray, who I think is great. But whether Ray can carry the entire thing by herself, I don't know. But anyway, so I agree with you that Phasma was wasted, but I think that's because Finn is wasted too, in my opinion. So you're saying I'm two for two is what you're saying. Thus far, uh, two for two. We'll see. Yes, <laughs> thus far. I agree with you that Phasma's a waste. I just, if these are supposed to be such dramatic moments, like it's supposed to be such a dramatic turn that Kylo, you know, force uses the lightsaber to saw Snoke in half. But for that to be a dramatic moment, there has to be some reason that Snoke should survive. There has to be some reason that we care that Snoke demonstrates his power. I mean, yeah. he hasn't demonstrated his power. 
other than the like weirdo f- f- force mind connect that's going on between Ray and Kylo that he's like, I did that. Ha ha ha. Right. And despite the fact that I've been looking for Luke Skywalker for an entire previous movie, and now I know where he is. I'm sending no ships to Luke Skywalker's island, <laughs> even though I saw him in the Force vision that I set up. But never mind that. I was doing it just to mess with you because I'm this powerful head of the First Order. Like, yeah, he had no purpose. He had no function other than this purely symbolic, archetypal function of we know there have to be two Sith guys, and one of them has to be grisly and old and scarred and eviler than the than the Darth Vader character. Yeah, the problem with Snoke for me is that Snoke is another example of sometimes the movie doing way too much telling and not enough showing. You know, there's a lot of like, you should care because he's old and a Sith. And you're like, really? And you're like, yes, because look, he is that. And you're like, why do I care? Shut up. He's old and a Sith. And um, and I think that's uh, now that's an example of a waste of a performance because I actually think it's Andy Serkis, as you know, doing mm-hmm. that. And Andy Serkis, as usual, is brilliant. Like, I, I don't know of any actor who's better at investing a character. Like, the sequence where he's there and Kylo comes in with the mask and Snoke is just like, take that ridiculous thing off. That's a great moment, actually. It's a great mm-hmm. moment because it, it sort of undercuts the idea that everyone's always got to have a mask all the time. It also demonstrates that Kylo has been too reliant on, like, pretending that he's some badass when the truth is, you know, like... He's, he's a little kid running after his grandfather. And, um, and, it, and the way, but the big thing is that it's delivered so well. That line is delivered really well. So you feel it. It's not obvious. It's not, it's just, it's sort of cool. And that's something you wouldn't have seen from Palpatine, right? Like Palpatine would not have been like, take that ridiculous thing off, Lord Vader. I mean, yes, he has to relies on it to survive. But the point is like, he would never be like, get rid of your symbolism, Darth Vader, because I don't need, you know, he doesn't do that. Snoke does that because he's a different character. So I, I like that, but there's just not enough of that to make me care about him. And it feels like Snoke basically is existing there so that he can be killed. Like he is a person, yeah. again, it's the MMO thing. Go kill Snoke. Why? Because that way you'll get experience and level up in this MMO. And so, I mean, I didn't bother me as much as Phasma just because, I was more invested in the Kylo Ray thing at that point, so I didn't really care as much about Snoke. But it is, again, sort of a wasted opportunity to me because you could have made it into something that people really gave a damn about, like when Luke confronts the Emperor and you're like, holy crap, Like this is the Emperor. And by that point, it's a big deal. Um, and uh, you know, this, you just don't... And it's interesting because, actually, one quick other note, the prequels, I think, have the opposite problem where the prequels fill out things too much. You know, the prequels do way too much backstory. So at the end, you're like, I love Ian McDermott, but oh my God, I don't give a damn about this emperor. Like you've, you've taken away, you've made him into some wizened guy who's like, he's also a lightsaber wielder and everybody has a, needs a lightsaber because that's what we do now in Star Wars. So like, I felt like in a way there was too much of the emperor in the prequels, but here we get too little of what the person is just supposed to be the supervillain, maybe because they're just trying to foreground Kylo, but I don't know that Kylo has enough of that no, for real, like I'm a bad I'm a bad guy here to really make that stick in the Star Wars world. But anyway, I, mean, I don't is, know about Is that. it the case that like to to give the benefit of the doubt to Ryan Johnson, like is it maybe the case that like he was he was handed, you know, here are twelve main characters and he just sits there and goes, I can't properly develop twelve main characters. Like it's impossible. Within a two and a two to two and a half hour movie, I just can't develop this many characters, so I've just got to cut 
a whole bunch of them and just kill a whole bunch of them. And I sorry, mean, but this is the hand I've been dealt. I mean, he, is that maybe he, he what he had to do? He can't hand off a couple to it. There is a third movie, right? Like he can't, he can't handle a few off later. Yeah. It seemed like, but he ditched and Holdo is, and ditch another well, useless character. In instead. Of the third movie. So JJ Abrams is doing the third. Movie, no, I know. And then Ryan Johnson is doing the fourth trilogy. Right. So but I'm just saying like, why can't, yeah. but he got handed this stuff by JJ Abrams. Why can't he hand back to him? Here's, you know, six characters left. Now you develop those or whatever. And, or in the meantime, why don't you get rid of Holdo? Who's another waste of space. But anyway, like, why don't you get, you know, why don't you do that? Like hand over, you develop six of them or whatever and leave a few for, you know, Abrams to do like, I don't know. Can I move on? Should I move on to the next thing? Move on. All right. Move on. Next thing. Uh, Luke Skywalker. I hated, I hated Luke Skywalker. Ah, this I'm going to disagree with you on, so go on. Okay. So the first thing that I hated about the new Luke Skywalker is... What does Luke Skywalker think about... She's dressed as the Flash, so she's from a completely different uh, expanded universe right now. I see. Um, so, the first thing that he said, okay, first thing in the in the previous movie, we've established that he left behind a secret map to come find him. For whatever reason, we don't know why. The way that he acted when Rick came to the island. There is zero reason that he left behind a map. He's just like, I have cut myself off from the forest. I want to hear of no one. I care not for your conflict. Like, I don't care who you are. That you have a lightsaber is garbage. Leave me alone. Like, why did, why, why did he leave behind a secret map? Well, he left behind a secret map because he was training people originally on that same island, right? I mean, the map was from when he was trying to give people access so that they could get... Oh, no, I thought that they, that was way a long time ago. I thought he that he, like, they, they all died... He went into hiding and then left behind a map after he gave up. After oh. he gave up. Well, so may, it was from I mean, before? It was I from thought before? it was, but I mean, okay. even if it wasn't, like, I mean, everybody know. Well, I shouldn't say everybody. The, the, he trained them on that same island, though. Like, that's where that's where Kylo and he had the whole falling okay. out. Okay, I buy that. I, my, my assumption I was I might be that wrong. he went into hiding because he gave up on the world and then... But he left behind a map just in case somebody really needed him or something like that. And then his attitude would have made no sense. But if, if that's your I don't know. I mean, I'm reasoning then I, yeah. I buy it. Yeah. Okay. Um, but then he gets into like he starts using all this postmodernist dialogue. He's like, Did you think I would come back with a laser sword and make everything better? I'm like, look, nobody in the in this universe calls it a laser sword. Only screenwriters who are making the eighth installment of these movies who are yuck yucking about everything would call it a laser sword. Like it took me out of it completely. Like it's, I'm sorry. Yes, it's 30 years later, but you still live in the same universe. It's still a lightsaber. It's not, you know, a jokey, a jokey joke, yuckety yuck. So I found that annoying. Um, you were really defensive about the very minute details in this universe as I'm, part of well, what I'm learning. This is the thing. From this. this is not any old movie that I'm going to see. This is not the same thing as my critique of Lady Bird, you know? Like, Lady Bird was a wonderful movie. There are things that I didn't like about it. But yes, I would never get as in-depth about it because Lady Bird is not a formative part of, like, my childhood and is not, part of, is not based on this, like, Campbellian monomyth that is the driving philosophy of a lot of people's lives like star wars is just really important and in the same way 
that a couple religious scholars might debate about like three, the, the translation of three words in a psalm for an afternoon. Like this is where we're at, man. This is just not where I thought this, this is not how I thought this was going to go. <laughs> we are so postmodernist. Like, we post like, your modernist, man. No, I mean, I just like when I anticipated the Russ rant TM about like this movie, the idea of like that he said, he called it a laser sword instead of a <laughs> lightsaber, like was nowhere in my top 7,000 possible things that Russ would rant about. And it's like, and, and it's also funny because like, I find it very fitting. Like I think a disillusioned, like I think that is so in character that like a disillusioned Luke would like not even use its name because he does not treat your universe with the solemnity that you do. But that's the whole point. That's the whole point, is that, like, he does not, he thinks it's all garbage. And so, of course, he's going to trample on all of your dreams, especially, not only your dreams for Luke Skywalker, but your dreams for Star Wars writ large, because he doesn't believe in himself anymore. And that's the whole point. And that's one of the things that I thought was, like, like actually made this movie closer to high art than anything else Star Wars has done, because... It was so unexpected. And so, and it, because it, it burned down the Campbellian part of the narrative, which I've always felt was like a little trite, frankly, because mm. I just grew up in a world where that kind of thing was so dominant that it felt trite. And so mm. I like the burn it down for that. Um, and I, I think that's great. And so like, of course he's going to like, like that's the equivalent of, you know, of like yelling fuck in a, in a Star Wars movie, right? Like that's as close as he can get mm-hmm. to doing that. It's like, I'm not even going to call it by the name because everything I believed in is so stupid. And it comes to a head when he, you know, goes to burn down the, the Jedi. Well, yeah, what, but what, anyway. What's interesting about that for me though, is that um, mm-hmm. there is, the, the argument I'd make about the solemnity though, is that he did treat the universe, Luke Skywalker did, much more solemnly in every previous movie. Like, I could almost see Han calling it a a laser sword because that's, you know, but Luke, this is a radical departure. The answer that can be made to that is that this is also many years since we've seen Luke. And so there's been a lot of chance for him to kind of change and alter. Uh, But the other thing I would say is, uh, and I just want to make this note before I I disagree with Russ on this one point, um, that Mark, this really, although Mark Hamill had problems, famously had problems supposedly with this and then ended up coming around in the end to saying he actually did really like what was done with the movie in the end. But really, this is really Mark Hamill. Because if you've ever seen Mark Hamill, Mark Hamill is a very you know good sense of humor, but it is kind of a snarky, somewhat modernist sense of humor. He's a good guy, Mark Hamill, but there is a little bit of a kind of you know irreverence about him, but not necessarily relating to this particular character. And in any case, I wasn't going to see Mark Hamill opine on the Jedi. I'm going to see Luke Z- Luke Je- Luke Skywalker opine on the Jedi. That said, though, I actually thought that this is by far Mark Hamill's best role. I think it was so good that it's almost Oscar worthy. I don't say that lightly. Of course, I think the Oscars are garbage, but I'm just saying like, you know, it's worthy (laughs) of being noted. I think that he was, I think that entire sequence, pretty much everything about the island, about his relationship with Ray, Mm -hmm. about the way that he builds things in, about, I thought was awesome. I I thought that that section, and that's what carried the movie for me. What carried the movie for me, and I'll talk more about this when we get to my overall feelings about it, but what carried the movie for me was Mark Hamill's performance, to a lesser extent, Ray, but especially Mark Hamill's performance as Lucas. I I thought he was brilliant. So that's, that's my overall point, although I do understand 
Russ's concern about that. But the light, I agree with Story, though, that he is likely to say Laser Sword because of the character that he plays in this movie, which I think you can justify because it is 30 years post the time that we knew Luke as Luke. But I think that's what people, Story, are objecting to, is that mm-hmm. Luke previously was not Mr. Snarky postmodern guy, right? Like, he was the opposite sure. of that in these films previous to this. So, but anyway. No, I mean, it's uncomfortable, but like, but as the movie illustrates in spades, I think like change is uncomfortable, right? Like it's not, we don't like changing. We don't like it when our heroes change or alter how they feel about things or whatever else, but that doesn't make it, that doesn't make the art about it bad. That just means that like, oh, we're getting uncomfortable. Right. I agree with that. I don't think change for the sake of change is the most important thing though. And I do think sometimes there is a question about whether change for the sake of change is what this movie was going for. But I mean, leaving that aside, I I agree with you uh, in general. So in terms of the, the existentialism that happens in the movie, like I agree with you guys. I like the fact that there's a critique of both the light and the dark side. Um, There's some really amazing videos on YouTube that you can watch. Some of which came out of the uh, Star Wars Expanded Universe, like MMORPG, or just maybe RPG games like Knights of the Old Republic, where they're like, the those games are amazing, by the way, because it's like yeah. they basically added a few hundred hours of canon because they're all considered canon. Like they all happened in ancient Star Wars history where, you know, the Jedi, ancient Jedi did horrible things and ancient Sith did some redeemable things and it like made it a lot more cloudy about those two philosophies, which I really like. I like that stuff. Um, and I also happen to like the idea that there's just arms dealers who sell to both sides and that you're both participating in a cycle of violence. And like, I think that's all like, yeah, here's the thing. And I, here's what my anticipation was of stories defense of this movie was that a lot of the overriding philosophy and morality, I think are great. Like, I think it's great that you have strong female heroes. I think it's great that you're talking about how war is bad, regardless of what side you happen to be on. And like, you know, today we'll kill you and tomorrow you'll kill us. And at the end of the day, somebody makes money. Like, I think that's really interesting to put in a Star Wars movie. I think the notion that, you know, the light and the dark side isn't the end all be all of everything is interesting. So I like that. Um, I think most of my criticism is that the execution of these philosophies and ideas like leaves a lot to be desired. Um, hmm. So f- here's another thing on the Luke, the Luke Skywalker Island. I mean, Again, previously, in previous Star Wars movies that we cared about, training was like this rigorous, impossible thing that presumably everyone didn't get all the way through. And like you would reject someone in the Jedi Temple if they're a seven-year-old because they're supposed to start as a three-year-old or something. Um, But the thing about Rey is that she's so intuitively amazing. And like, forget about her lineage. Like, I'm fine with her just being a regular person with a lot of ability. Like, that's great. I don't think she has to be a Kenobi or a whatever. Um, but the fact that she can just seamlessly do all of these things that take all of these historically powerful Jedi, like months or years or years of training, and her training on the island was like having a half of an argument with Luke and then storming off, and then she immediately like perceives new abilities and can move rocks where she couldn't before. Like that, again, that seemed to me to be more... Here's an archetype. You guys know what this is like, so we don't have to explain it or give you any detail or give you any backstory. This is just, this Star Wars-y thing's going to happen, so you can just assume that the Star Wars-y thing happened. And that annoys me also. Mm, I don't know that I agree with that. I I think that I I saw some critiques about this. Um, Number one, I don't agree with the 
I, you're not you're not making this part of the argument, but I, I I object incredibly strongly to the Ray as a Mary Sue argument because there is an incredible sexism at the root of that. Because give me a break, Luke shows up as this farm boy, and literally they're like, "All right, sounds good. Why don't you join the? Uh, why don't we give you one of our very few remaining X wings so you can engage in this probable suicide mission, which is the only way the re- that the rebels yeah, have any Yeah, but his chance. two best friends were in the fleet, man. Oh, so, At least so it that's was nepotism. Do- yeah, right, right, exactly. Biggs and yeah. we- like Biggs and Wedge could vouch for him. It wasn't just like uh. it wasn't just like they had the word of Han Solo. They had two of the best pilots were like, "Oh yeah, we totally flew with this guy, and we're short of pilot." Like, I mean. Like nobody knows Ray. Ray comes into the resistance. Nobody knows her from Adam. Nobody can vouch for her. She doesn't have any friends or, or skills apparently. But we're like, you know what? You know this mission that we've been saving up for years. We're trying to assemble this map to go find Luke Skywalker. You should do it because you found a lightsaber. Yeah, but the difference there is that by that point, everybody, including Leia, is much more force sensitive. So Leia knows that there's something serious going on with Ray. She senses it, right? Um, This is part of the idea is that this movie, in a way, is sort of the rise of Leia as an important force-seeking character, force-sensing character. So I don't know. I, I don't... I don't completely, I feel like she sees a lot of Luke in Ray and is willing to go with that. And Star Wars has always been a lot about trusting your gut and going with your instinct and, you know, use the force and go here. Even, you know, there's always been a lot of that. It's not very organized in a way. It's all very kind of haphazard and it's based a lot upon, you know, sort of instinct. But my, my larger point about that would just be that Ray as a character is... I, I I just I so anyway I object to the Mary Sue thing I, I just I don't I entirely disagree because I think there's been many examples where there's people who are just incredibly powerful because they're filled with the force. As far as the training thing is concerned, and like this sort of time frame, this is why we have time lapse, right? This is why we have montages because there's lots of time that can get spent somewhere without having to show us every last bit of it. Ray does spend time on the island. This doesn't all happen in a 10-hour period. She spends time on the island during which she is doing a lot of sort of, you know, building up her, you know, feelings of the Force. But prior to this point, when she was on Tatooine, all she was doing all freaking day Jekku. long was... Jekku. Oh, Cheku, it's not Tatooine? Sorry, <laughs> I beg your pardon. I meant Tatooine 2016 edition because that's what it actually is. Um, exactly. So Cheku. When she's on Cheku. This is literally, she. all she is doing her entire time is surviving against all odds and practicing her abilities with, for example, the bow staff or the equivalent. Like this, that is all she does. So she is very gifted as a combat specialist by the time they meet her, not because she's a Mary Sue, but because the only reason she survived to the age of 16, 17, whatever the hell she is, is by somehow being able to fight her way out of these problems. Um, and being able to think her way out of these problems. So she's been training all her life. It's not like she's living this pampered yeah. life of luxury. five scenes and then, later, she like does a Jedi mind trick on a stormtrooper. Wh- when is this? What, what do you mean? When Daniel Craig playing a stormtrooper, she's all locked up and she's like, you will drop your blaster and you will leave the room alone and you will untie me. And he's like, I will untie you. I will drop my blaster. Yes, but at that point, the reason that she's able to do that is because she has also been on the most powerful planet that is like at the center of the force that exists. Like, right? She goes into the the dark pit. She has that whole emotion. No, no, that's, this is in TFA when she else. did that. She did that in TFA. Oh, in TFA. That's true. The, that, uh, the thing about that. Yeah, I mean, but... Again, I just I, I think I think there is it is possible for 
force users to be more intense and powerful than than other force users. And in any case, my critique is we're talking about the Last Jedi, not the Force Awakens. So it, the idea here is, what does she do in the Force Awakens? That, that sorry, in uh, the Last Jedi, that seems out of character, and I don't see anything that seems particularly out of character. So I. I have to say that everything in the island I thought was completely believable. In fact, I got annoyed when they left the island because they went to what I thought were far weaker parts of the movie. So I, you know, to me, that stuff doesn't, I, I mean, I was fine with that. I don't, I don't okay. really think, the part of the whole thing we're saying is that the force should not be broken up, cut down, and then like specified statistically. So I don't want to then start making critiques that basically require us to figure out how many weeks and days we need for her to become good at something. Like it's okay. all sort of amorphous in the first place. And that's because the force is amorphous in the first place. So I didn't have an objection to that. All right. I think your defenses of that are fair. I don't, think that Ryan Johnson tried to do a training montage. I think it was more just like a few seconds and then either Luke or Ray would give up and, you know, storm off and have a hissy fit, but fine. Let's assume that she learned what she needed to learn on the island. Uh, next critique, the whole plot, the main plot of the movie was all about that a cruiser that can go one knot faster than a star destroyer is invulnerable to that star destroyer. So long as they don't run out of fuel. That, that this is a truth in the Star Wars universe. That as long as you're, you're just going slightly faster than them, then oh, all this expensive military technology is useless because they're going one knot faster and we don't have, oh wait, except we have giant squadrons of fighters that we used to great effect previously in the movie and also in things like The Empire Strikes Back, which is the reason that the Millennium Falcon, one of the fastest ships in the galaxy, can't escape from a Star Destroyer blockade is because the fighters will chase them down and eat them up. Why didn't the fleet just deploy their fighters and start picking off these resistance freighters? And that's like, that's the whole plot of the movie is most of the movie takes place while the resistance fleet is inching away from the Star Destroyer fleet. And like that is, a, is given as something that is possible. That's not possible. <laughs> um, well, I guess the only thing I, I mean, yes, I didn't, I didn't particularly love that conceit either. I guess the thing I would say about that is the first order fighters are not necessarily the empire fighters. And my sense is that the but there are zero of them. Like, okay, maybe they only have six. No, Where but, are I, they? but I'm saying, like, the, but I'm saying it, 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 I'm saying the resistance has better. Remember the resistance also has fighters, right? My, my thought is the resistance is just better pilots, like, and considerably better pilots than the first order has. So that, that basically the first order is sledgehammer on bug, right? But the bug is faster and more maneuverable and that include, and so the fighters that they would send would not be effective ultimately against them like when the fighters went off and did the whole thing with leia and space mary poppins and all that 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 whole thing when they're in the midst of this discussion they're in the midst of this like encounter the a lot of the resist the first order fighters get torn up by the resistance actually so i mean now you could argue the first order has unlimited resources and can just keep producing fighters i guess but they can't do that well, but the at the same that, time that they're also chasing these people but they were supposed to have had an overwhelming force that's like part of the given truth of the situation is that they have this overwhelming force the resistance but not a few fighter force measly ships they they classify overwhelming as how much can we pummel a planet into death 
I mean, like the first order is all about bigger, larger, stronger, right? Like not smaller, more agile. And but they, they're not dummies. They know that you need support ships have you for Star Hux? Destroyers. Have right, you he's seen Hawks? He's a big dummy. Have you seen Hawks? <laughs> he's a super dummy. Uh, <laughs> no, but I mean, like there's, there's an arrogance about the First Order that I think that I did believe was something that would cause them to have, make some stupid decisions. Like the two sides of the same coin, right? The arrogance that allows them to basically not have any morality and do what they want and take what they want and get all this stuff is the same thing. And by the way, using remnants of the empire to do that is the same thing that allows them then to stupidly make the decision not to use their fighters. Like, you know, Death Star and New Hope, you can't figure out how to plug up a six meter garbage chute. You can't, I mean, that like, that's the one weakness you have and like, but nope, uh, well, that's fine. We'll just put it at the end of this trench. Well, and I'm sure no one will ever Rogue get One that right. there's the act of a saboteur engineer. So it all made sense. Yeah, I'm Rogue glad Rogue One tried to yeah, retroactively well, we plug that. years from that backfill, which exactly, is literally retroactively you been, plugging the hole. If you had right? been 20 years older, older when that had come out, you would have never given this entire universe a chance because yeah. with your rigorous parsing yep. of dialogue exactly. and precise moves, you would have said like, that's exactly. a I mean, it's it's funny because Alex has never seen any of the original trilogy, and so we start. We watched. Um, we haven't watched Return of the Jedi yet because I just can't deal with it so bad. But um, but we we watched Star Wars and Empire Strikes Back again, and I'm like, maybe I have misremembered these movies as being like less cheesy, less corny, and less problematic. And I'm like, nope, nope. These are all like there's huge plot holes. There's huge corn. There's huge cheese, like it's corn on cheese on corn, like, you know, and it's like, I enjoy it. I love every minute of it. It's great because it's my cheese on corn. But like the idea that like suddenly only recently have we had a cinematic failure of like perfection and plot is just, is just wishful memory. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you on memory. that. That's true. Like, yeah. I, don't I agree. So, so, yeah. So, so along the same lines of this plot failure and given mm. the fact that you guys hate midichlorians so much, yes. I've never heard fuel mentioned so much in the entire previous seven movies as I have in this movie. They're like, we're going to run out of fuel. Do we have enough fuel to make a jump to hyperspace? I don't know. We might not have fuel. Oh, we're running low on fuel. We're running desperately low on fuel. We are almost out of fuel. I'm like, what universe is this? Post Nobody fuel-list. cares about Post fuel. <laughs> like, this has nothing to do with Star Wars. It's like this whole plot is that they're going to chase them until they run out of gas? This is the plot? This is the movie you wrote? Is that we're going to run out of gas. I hope we can find a refueling station somewhere so that we can have another movie where we can think about running out of gas. And it's like, no. These are it's not, weird objections, it's not dude. about <laughs> fuel and gas. It's just... <sighs> I mean, I think part of that was also that, like, I think that he was trying to have a Star Wars movie that was like less about war and critiquing war. And so like, it was not just the pew, pew, pew. Like he got the pew, pew, pew out of the way at the beginning. But like, I, I feel like he thought there was going to be more tension in something. I mean, I also like, I recognize that I am an unusual moviegoer in this way. Like action movies make me fall asleep, right? Like things that most people find to be exciting on the screen. Like, there just becomes a sensory overload, and I'm like, this is boring. I don't care. I don't care what happens. Like, zoom, zoom, zoom. Oh, he jumped across the train of the track, the, like, the train for the 400th time that's happened in an action movie. It doesn't make any sense. Who cares? And so I think it was a way of trying to build, like, subtler tension in something that, like, you can still have spaceships, and it still, like, looks like Star Wars, 
but it's not just another like pew 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 are they gonna like do the one in a million shot and in fact the whole one in a million shot plot actually has the 999,999 happen for once and it doesn't come through and it actually like almost kills everybody which I thought was like one of the many brilliant things about this movie of like you know, I mean, I literally rolled my eyes when Poe was like, I'm not taking this order. Like, we have to go off and save it. And I'm like, oh, my God, really? For the eighth time in a row, it's the, like, reckless rogue guy who goes off and does some, like, million-to-one adventure, and it works. And I was so refreshed and, like, so renewed with my feeling about the movie when it was a total fail and it didn't work. And I'm like, finally, finally, like, something makes sense and something adds up with the odds and the like crazy wild overly macho guy who runs off and whatever is actually wrecking and that so yeah yeah i think i think also yeah. there was just you can't you can't blow up any more big bases man like you just, you've had enough yeah I, get enough with the, yeah. like, the really. death star nine did not appear there's, there's, there's got to be some impact about like eventually resources like come well, on like, there was no death star in empire strikes back either uh, right well and right and and what is what is widely considered you, to be the best, you movie, mean the best movie before this one in Star Wars? Right. No, no, no. yeah. like we all well, love empire no, my, my point is yesterday's nowhere close to as good as empire in my opinion but uh, that's that's just me we disagree. my that's point good. is that you you guys are giving ryan johnson a ton of credit for diverting from the formulaic nature of previous star Wars movies especially the force awakens so from my point of view, what Ryan Johnson did was he goes, okay, so we basically just saw in The Force Awakens a beat-by-beat beat recreation of A New Hope. So I can't, mm -hmm. I can't do that. So he wrote down a bunch of like major tropes and plot points and elements from Empire Strikes Back on index cards. And he, because he's a great director, he shuffled the index cards. So he's like, all right, it won't be beat-by-beat. Beat. Instead of Hoff ice planet battle at the beginning, we're gonna do Hoth ice planet battle at the end. We're also going to have ships try to escape from an Imperial blockade, check. We're going to have a roguish character who sides with neither the Empire or the Rebellion, check. We're going to have, um, God, there's so many tropes, uh, you know. Well, the whole, the training on the islands, the, the, Tra the yeah. planet. The training, training on a, a remote island We're check. Like, opening screen where there's a roll of yellow text to dramatic music. <laughs> no, but in all seriousness, like every single major beat of the Empire Strikes yes. Back was this is absolutely covered yes, in this, this movie. True. This is true. Yeah. The only way it was a departure is that the twists and turns that we expected didn't happen. But it was like, you know, Eric Byrne, the psych psychoanalyst I used to quote endlessly and loved so much, mm -hmm. like he, he would talk about script versus counterscript, which is that some people live their lives according to the script given to them by their parents. They, in mm -hmm. some yeah. example, go to law school, they become a lawyer, they live that happy life. And some people have counterscript and they become a drug addict. But both of those people are both bound by the influence of their parents. Of course, right. They just live it out in opposite ways. Of course. And I think that that was the case with this. Like he was bound by empire. He just said, no, no, no. Every time that Abram said, yes, yes, yes. And that's what the movie that we ended up with. But I mean, that makes it a much stronger movie, right? Because like, like 
it, it seems weird to me that you simultaneously critique it for far too many diversions from the Star Wars movie universe, but then are also like, but there were too many things that were reminiscent of Empire. Like, if he had also not had anything that could be referenced that way, like, he would have actually been killed by now. Like, like someone would have tracked him down and assassinated him, right? Like, <laughs> like you do... No, I, and I'm actually totally serious about that. Like, you have to still have some lineage and some homage, especially when you're taking the risk of changing and burning down as many other things as you are, or, or people will just like not, you know, Disney won't approve it, people will be too angry. Like, I don't know. So I think that like, I think he walked that line um, and struck the best balance that he could under those circumstances. I just think it was lazy. Like, I mean, the prequels, as much as we hated them, were total they had nothing to do with i mean lucas might have claimed that there were some kind of mirroring going on between them and the original movies but it, it wasn't nearly as obvious or obnoxious as either oh, oh, the force awakens or of the last jedi hmm. because they took place in completely different universes on different planets I mean, this, it just seemed like in this particular movie, like it was, a, it was a wonderful, Wait. beautiful battle that took place at the very end of The Last Jedi, but it was absolutely Hoth too. It was Hoth. Oh, come on. No, I think the world building, I think the world building and the fleshing out of the worlds with the animals and the ecosystems was a great strength of this movie. And then it felt very different than a lot of them that like, like, like the Phantom Menace was, you know, kind of indifferent to the universe, right? To, I mean, there was the underwater world, but I, everyone was too distracted by Dark but like, I don't know. I feel like it nobody a gives a damn about Naboo because it right. Cares. Like I felt like everyone they're like I'd want to blow it up if Jar Jar were there too. Like you know. But yeah. but yeah, yeah, I think that yeah, I think that I don't know. I I strongly disagree with that. I felt like I felt like the worlds felt more three dimensional um, than before. I don't know. Hmm. I don't know. I don't know if I agree with that entirely. But I I don't have as much problem as Russ does with the. Like even if I, I kind of agree that it is sort of Hoth too, but I don't I don't that's fine because you're taking what is to my mind clearly the superior movie of the of all of the movies that have come out thus far. Uh, well, not Rogue One's sort of separate, but like you know, of the sort of mainstream movies, the mainline movies, and that's that's sort of the foundation of it. And Empire is a movie about failure. In fact, one of the things that would be nice that's nice is if people can start remembering that there's a reason Empire was as good as it was, and it's because it was about failure. Um, so that one of the things I object to is the idea that Ryan Johnson comes up with his bread as wild new vision of the future. I'm like, first of all, the idea that um, sci from a science fiction point of view, the idea that a brand new vision of the future involves failure is the biggest laugh I've ever heard. Because every science fiction movie these days gets off on the premise that we want to that uh, everyone's going to fail and everyone's going to die. And it's a post apocalyptic vision of disaster in the future. Like that's supposedly that's the new hotness and has been the new hotness for two decades. So I mean, like, that's that's there's nothing new under the sun as far as that's concerned. For Star Wars, it's not new because of the Empire Strikes Back part of thing. But I don't see that as a negative because I think Empire Strikes Back was justly praised for being excellent narratively. I also think Empire Strikes Back is much better paced than Last Jedi, which I think is about a half hour too long. Um, and so, you know, I... I, I I, I think that it's not as incredibly original as you're suggesting story, but I don't see that as the negative that Russ does. I, I just don't, 
you know, I, I don't, I don't, that, that said, that portion of it really didn't concern me over much because I was more interested in how the characters are being sort of produced and developed. I do want to point out, by the way, that we are well over an hour at this point, um, which is fine. <laughs> I'm but not I'm, done. You haven't even I'm gotten to like halfway finished. through the movie. No, I know it. That's what I'm saying. Uh, I, I just want to point out that, you know, this is going to be like a four hour epic by the time you're done. So, yeah. <laughs> You know, we uh, haven't even gotten uh, to what story in my narrative about the next critique. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I think that given that we're now in a world where we have directors, you know, maybe mostly J.J. Abrams and Ryan Johnson, but nevertheless, different directors handing off this project from one guy to the next guy or woman or whatever. Um, I think one of the baseline rules, if there are any for a director to take over is like when you take over this franchise, don't break the universe like that should be rule number one like you can tell the story tell whatever story you want make it however you want to make it cinematographically <laughs> but don't break the universe um and i think ryan johnson broke the universe in a couple of instances which i have a problem with um the first most would be the 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 kamikaze the hyperdrive kamikaze maneuver and I'm sure you've heard this critique before. This can't be, I mean, it's not an original critique, which is that if it's, if it, I mean, it's not supposed to be possible because theoretically hyperdrive just is a parallel space from regular space and you can't crash into things in hyperdrive. And the only reason in the original Star Wars movie that Han Solo's like, we could crash into a supernova and that would end your trip real fast is because theoretically the gravity well of those large objects like affects hyperspace and can pull you out of hyperspace and then you get sucked into the gravity well of an object in regular space. But like the notion that you can crash into regular objects is just not part of Star Wars canon. And if it were, in the world of Star Wars, they've been having space battles for a thousand years. It's been a thousand years of space travel and armored spaceships. So the idea that this is the first, per uh, that Admiral, Vice Admiral Holdo is the first person to ever come up with this notion that you can send a ship into hyperdrive and destroy a bunch of ships is insane. Otherwise, you know, why wouldn't we just have robot piloted ships hyperdriving themselves at Death Stars, you know, to blow them up? Like, I don't... Well, and, okay, you know. see, I that that argument, I think, is... That that argument is, is so... Okay, the, the biggest problem with that argument is the exact same reason that we didn't just have kamikaze pilots in world war ii actual kamikaze pilots why that wasn't an effective strategy it's because every time you do it it costs you a plane and but it was an extreme it was an extraordinarily planes, effective strategy in well, world war ii they well, took well, out carriers that, that, and that is that is that is, completely, that is completely not accurate the they took out carriers at the cost of their military readiness every time they did that they had you know how many planes it took them on average to sink a carrier in a moment when they couldn't up their production to meet demand I'm sorry, this is just factually not accurate. It was one of the stupidest military things they could have done. It was a symbolic gesture to try to keep morale going in the war that you had these people who were brave enough that they could do it. But every military historian has made it clear that it is an intensely stupid military idea in any kind of long-time sustainable war strategy. There was no way it was going to work long-term. Taking out one ship taking out two ships at the cost of 40% of your military readiness or whatever the case may be is not worth it. And it's one okay, of the but things. In the case, in, 
hastened the end of the Japanese but being in a the liable. case of Star Wars, taking an empty freighter ship, having a robot piloted into the Death Star would seem extremely efficient. But that, but do you know how? But do you know how much effort and resources it takes to build a freighter ship large enough to be piloted at something else? Like you could just say you build a big honking missile. But the reason that a freighter ship is effective in that particular way, as you're describing it, is because it's huge and multi-layered and uh, has a honeycomb structure that allows it to. This this is incredibly expensive. The man hours that it takes, the whole bit. This is why it's so incredibly. Well, you know, like by that logic, why wouldn't you just build lots of Death Stars and run them into planets, right? You, you know, you can't. It, it takes way too much to build one of these freighters relative to the damage it could theoretically do. So no, I, I just I I don't buy that argument at all. The Kamikaze thing looks impressive, but as a long, it's a desperation strategy for a reason. Arguably, it's the only thing they could theoretically do to buy the resistance time to survive, but it's not a long-term military strategy. Also, I do agree with you about the hyperspace being parallel. That's one of many problems I have with the whole Holdo piloting thing in the first place. But anyway, yeah, no, I mean, I, I do not agree with you at all, though. I, I strongly disagree that there's some military value to doing this, and so why aren't they all doing it? They're not all doing it because they won't have a fighting force, because they don't have a lot of production facilities, and they don't have a lot of, all right, I'll just come up with five more ships to do this. It's not StarCraft, where you just gather more pylons so you can build more ships. Like, it doesn't work that way. If you lose a ship like that, that's a huge loss. I understand why it made sense for her to make that maneuver at that time. Now, I might have argued that uh, Admiral Akbar being the actual captain of that particular ship should have done it because then you would have a reason for him to show up in this movie other than for nostalgia purposes and then to disappear. Um, but that being said, really the argument is like, if you've been doing this for a thousand years, this space battle, somebody would have done it at some point in time. So at least you would have the nuclear deterrence threat of like, we always know that somebody could hyperspace into a bunch of ships. And so there have to be some kind of precautions that we could take or keep our ships spaced further apart or something because this is a tactic that has been used you know in the history of star wars i just but they don't do that because so seldom do they do it because they don't have a lot of freighters they don't have a lot of these ships like that's the resistance's last freighter you know they do that and then they can't do that anymore right i mean like because it's expensive to build freighter i just i don't think this argument holds water at all i'm sorry like it's why can't you do it at a death star death star is is uh you could do that maybe once. Well, first of all, the freighter wouldn't destroy a Death Star. A freighter destroys their big super ship. But secondly, you could do that it once. Destroyed like seven, seven star destroyers. That one freighter. But you it can't. But lead a star destroyers. But you can't. But okay. But then there's no. But right. But they have like ten more star destroyers, and you have no more freighters. Like this is not a good trade-off. I I, I successfully defeated him. You okay? Good example. I've successfully defeated them. Yeah, I managed. Look at look at this. I've managed to give you a major wound to your side. Congratulations. In exchange for that, I've cut off both of your legs and you know your shoulder. Like it, it, it's not it's not a good trade off. The resistance cannot afford to make one for five trade offs or even one for one trade offs because they don't have enough ships. There's no production that will allow them to replace that freighter in any near shape in, or time. In Return of the Jedi, they. <laughs> attacked the Death Star with a bunch of fighters and, I don't know, maybe four or five command-level ships. There was one major command-level ship, but there was like a medical frigate. There were a bunch of other major ships, any one of which would have been large enough. And so then they found themselves with the shield up. They found themselves blockaded in by a huge fleet of Star Destroyers and just being eaten alive completely. Like, they were toast. And yes, they still had this 
weird hope of the team on Endor blowing up the shield generator. But you would think that if anyone knew that such a tactic could exist, that they would have at least like brought it up at that time and been like, hey, we could send one of our frigates and take out the Death Star or destroy all the Star Destroyers. We could take one of our frigates, one of the four that you just mentioned that they have, use it to destroy like five Star Destroyers and still face 10 more. And then we have no frigates left. Like this well, argument is not The strategy that they adopted instead <laughs> was to like move really close to the Star Destroyers and die slowly. Like they expected to die. Because they, they expected were buying to die. Time, right. Because they were buying time for the weakness of the Death Star, which was if you could get down the generator and send in a little they ship. They found out that the Death Star that the weapons were operational and that it could pick them off one by one and it could destroy one frigate in one shot. So you may as well, at that point, use one of your frigates that's about to die anyway and crash it into something if you can take out seven or eight Star Destroyers. Uh, but then you but then you haven't bought any... What? No, because you have, one, you haven't bought any time. Two, what is left? Like the Rebellion throws everything they've got at the Empire, everything they've got... If if the win like if the end of it is okay we win and one person is live hooray like they wanted to actually have something that the rebellion could exist past the empire right like they can't just be like well we all died but at least they all died too like that that's okay so I need clarification from you do yeah. you think that this is a universe breaking like no is this not at least. is this so you think that except, this except, well, exists well, uh, within the theory of Star Wars let me, let me rephrase that you that. can, you can physically that. ram things in hyperdrive. Let me rephrase that. Okay, that so let me rephrase that. Yes, I'm not sure about that. I'd have to think about the whole hyperspace thing. You might, I'm not sure. You may be right about that part. But beyond that, the idea that this was like, the, why don't they just always do that is to me completely nonsensical as an argument. So no, I do not think it's universe breaking at all in that regard. But in as far as the hyperspace thing, I'd have to think about that. I'm not sure. Okay, but but should have happened in the past, it would have been a very famous thing that had happened, right? It would have been like a Custer's Last Stand kind of story that you tell about some ancient oh, ship that used its hyperdrive and took out the bulk of another army. actually gets through, right? So. Right, right. That's Especially true. not in the movies where zero history gets through. <laughs> well, that's the, that's the thing, though, right? Like, after the fall of... Because we also... I mean, we never know why the Republic falls down, right? Um, so, like, I don't know. Um... Yeah, I don't I, I like I don't see a lot of evidence for a long historical record that gets passed down in any of these movies really. So I mean, but even if there was a historical record, the answer would be no, they probably haven't done it before. And the reason they haven't done it before is because they can't afford the loss of man again, I, I can't emphasize enough. So you want us to put together a massive ship, which will take us at least a year to plus to build, mm -hmm. so we can take it and ram it, hopefully hit a few and destroy a couple of star destroyers. And then we lose because we don't have the resources to build them and they still have 13 more. Like the overwhelming number you know? I do you know what I envisioned out of this scenario is like let's go back to the prequel world and let's say the huts who are a fabulously rich uh, space mafia, you know, that they would just keep one or two freighters around that they pilot by robots so they don't have to sacrifice or whatever. They're evil. They'll put some bounty hunter who's willing to die in the ship. They don't care, they're the huts. And they just have those ships as part of a fleet. And they know that if anyone messes with them, they can just send a robot piloted freighter and hyperdrive it at someone's planet or at someone's fleet. And that, and just, they use it like a nuclear weapon, like as a deterrent factor, like that should have absolutely existed if this is a possible thing to do. 
I mean, there's also an argument to be made that the hyperdrive thing works partially because it's going into hyperdrive at very close range. And so if you see a freighter coming at a planet, presumably your answer is fire everything. Like it's right from the new Star Trek, you know, Star Trek, uh, whatever the, the 2008 reboot or nine reboot, right? Fire everything. Like, like that's basically what it is. Everyone just like blast the hell out of the freighter. So it doesn't actually get there at the same time. I don't know. Also, I would say that once you did it once, then everyone would be coming up with a way to sort of solve that problem if it ever happened again. So there's that also that it just it just seems like it's got very low return on investment potential and it's an incredible waste of resources an incredible waste of man hours and I don't know I just okay I just don't see this well, incredible thing. I want you to know that my friend who's a diehard Star Wars fan also made the same defense of this, which is that it would be expensive to replicate. And okay, so that's why it's okay for her to have done it. Okay. Um, Last world-breaking thing, and I'll make this my last overall critique because we've this has been going on for a while, is uh, the Yoda Force Ghost. Um, I didn't love that whole thing where he's. It just was like, you burn down your temple, I will burn down your temple. Ha ha ha! Who cares? Uh, that seemed a little bit weird to me. A couple things seemed weird. The fact that Yoda came in as Luke was about to burn it down, and Yoda's like, double burn it down, as opposed to saying, don't burn it down. And then, even after they have both decided that all of the sacred texts in history is meaningless, which is a thread that we've already discussed, um, there's like a flash scene later where Rey has kept all the books anyway. So she's like preserved all the things that they were cool burning down. So it's like, what, what is, what's the story? Are we burning them down because we don't care? Or are we saving them because they have some value? They don't seem to really come down one way or the other on that. Well, um, it's... it's- the difference between like is Ray the same human being as Luke? No, like Luke feels one way and Ray feels another, and that's why she's the last Jedi. Like, I mean, that's like I don't I I don't know why that's hard to and that and that also reaffirms because like the moment that I was probably the one moment where I was expecting what would have been a surprise, but because I was like, okay, now I get it. There's surprises, and then it wasn't the surprise that I expected. As I expected that Ray would accept. Kylo Ren's offer when he's like join me and it was like a little bit difficult because he was still focused on power which yeah that would have been rough though I don't know but I definitely thought that like when it's like no no Sith no Jedi like burn it all down and I thought that like because they had a connection that she would be pretty open to that at that point and I thought she would like now I thought she might accept it not necessarily like in her heart totally like agreeing but being like, well, I will, I will at least tell him I'm siding with him for now, and we'll see how far this goes. And like, yeah, if he wants me to do evil, then we're out. But like, you know, this this look, it looked like the best offer she had at that point. So that said, I understand why she doesn't because in her character, she really believes she's carrying your torch, Russ. Like, she really wants the, the Jedi to continue. So. Okay, the, the, the world-breaking problem that I had with it, though, was that now it's been established that Force ghosts can, like, affect things in the oh, real no. world. No, I, see, I, I read that scene. I've read this in every critique, and I did not read that scene that way. I think he showed up when the lightning storm was going to do it. Like, Yoda did not do that. Yoda oh, I think he create. called lightning. No. I think Yoda called no. summon, summon lightning. No, no. He was there for the ironic moment of, like, you think you have power and control in this universe? Ha, 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 ha. No, there was already a lightning storm coming for it. Okay. Because like, it that's seems how to me I like he that. made a gesture never, at the sky, no. 
and then the lightning struck it. And then I was like, whoa, can we have like force ghost assassins now? Because they can just show up anywhere. No. And I, I never thought, I didn't, did not think until I read reviews about that much after seeing the movie. I never thought that Yoda had done that. I thought he was showing up to be like, oh, silly Luke, you still think you're in control and can run things. This is not your show. I'd have, to, I'd have to think about that. I don't, I mean, to me, the thing that's, I think the easy answer to that is Yoda is not your average bear, right? Yoda is arguably the most powerful Jedi master who's ever lived, <laughs> right? Or died. So, I mean, like Yoda is absurd. So I think it's reasonable to say that Yoda is, is different and more powerful. First of all, not all of Force users become Force ghosts. In fact, very few of them do. You only have a few who really have the power and the will and whatever to spread themselves and become out on the Force and become as the wind or whatever and to become Force ghosts. Um, even by the time we get to this part of the movie, you've got basically what? Like Yoda, Anakin, Kenobi, and I think that's all. Like, I mean, at least the ones that are in the movies. So we're talking three out of how many thousands of Jedis over the years? So um, it, this is not a common thing. And of that, the idea that Yoda would be the one who's powerful enough to do that wouldn't bother me that much. I mean, I don't know. But Story may be right that he just was there at the same time. I didn't really think about too much about that. Um, especially since, obviously... Ray has all the books in the Millennium Falcon anyway, so I don't know whether it really isn't the whole like we lost all of the texts and everything else. Um, so, okay. yeah. Uh, so there's that, and then two more, two tiny things that I don't need to rant about. Uh, the mm -hmm. fact that so Luke becomes one with the Force when he finishes his meditation because he's exhausted and he dies, uh, and he fully disappears, but he wasn't all flesh and bone. He had a robot arm that should have dropped and hit the ground because that didn't become one with the force in the same way that Ben Kenobi's cloak didn't become one with the force when he was killed. Nitpicky, my God. <laughs> yeah, that's really nitpicky. <laughs> and then the other thing was, yeah, I agree with Greg that the whole Canico casino, the, that whole thing was just Total like bad, bad Jurassic Park CGI. Why are we here? It seems this is dumb. Yeah. That whole thing. I get, I get the reason why it's there. I just don't, I still don't like it. Um, all right. Uh, Story, do you want to, do you want to, you've had some of your narrative uh, described already in responses, but do you want to throw out your quick? Uh, yeah, I mean, I'll just, I'll try to go much faster <laughs> through this, but like, I mean, and I have alluded to a lot of it. Like I thought that, you know, mine are going to be a little bigger picture than like there was a toe missing on the 17th shot. Of that. What's your feeling on laser swords? <laughs> but like, um, I loved that, Things that I th was sure were happening in the midst of it that were making me dislike the movie were actually undone, e.g. like Poe does not save the universe and the world and whatever else. And like, I, I really like that. Like Finn is not all heroic. He's trying to save his own skin and then gets caught or whatever else. Um, like just well, a lot well, of wait a minute, wait a minute. To save Ray's skin. Like he's not, he's doing this to say expressly because he doesn't want Ray to get hurt. It's expressly Fair. why he says he does Fair enough. Fair enough, fair enough. But like, you know, so there's just, there's a lot of like, there's a lot of unexpected moments that I thought were, um, you know, were really cool. And like, especially culminating in like, the, as I said, the one in a million goose chase, like did not, was not actually something that helped or saved anybody. And it was a complete waste of time. And like, to see that like, not every wild half-cocked heroic adventure, that seems like a very anti-millennial message that I thought you guys would have appreciated. Um, 
you know, is like they're not all always going to win or always going to be great or always going to advance the cause. Obviously, the anti-war stuff that Russ. Yeah, I thought that to. I thought that was consistent with the millennial yeah. message of toxic masculinity, which I thought was yeah. was doubled yeah. down in spades in this movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so I thought that was very strong, and I liked that. Um, and I like the, you know, I like the connection and the tension that um, Kylo Ren has as of his development. Like, I think that, you know, his development was very, very strong in the movie and him as a counterpoint to Ray, and their interaction was something that I really, like, felt and cared about. Um, yeah, and that it was it was trying to build a new direction and a new like fleshing out the universe more i totally agree with everything greg said about luke and the island the island itself was very well developed luke's character as a as someone who has developed and gone through trauma when everything else came easily to him before and now nothing is easy and like he feels like it's all been a mistake um the remembrance scene of the like three different ways that the scene uh, the great confrontation between luke and kylo ren that creates kylo ren yeah that was exceptional that's 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 playing with perspective in a a really exceptional way yep phenomenal agree and like none the most sophisticated scene that star wars has ever attempted in eight movies nine movies if you count rogue one and pulled off very very well and showed a level of like nuance and sophistication that the entire like four five six original trilogy was totally missing yeah i i agree entirely with that i want to i want to throw in one quick thing story about that i i would one quick thing i agree with you 100 percent. the perspective stuff was brilliant really well done right because it because none of the three are wrong, they're just all three different right. tapes on the right. same exactly. thing. Yeah. So so yeah. really really great. But also I want to throw into that Ray with the whole sequence down in the pit with the mirror because I also mm. thought that that was very clever because you thought you were leading to here's the answer mm. and the answer is her, which is not actually as trite as it sounds. It seems like it would be because of what she always expected which was the answer at the end of the mirror um i imagine that that might be something that russ would find horrifically millennial in that the answer to every millennial problem is more focusing on millennials but but no i mean like i'm joking like the mirror thought i think a thing also was really handled well in terms of expectations being subverted sorry go on no 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 and i no i think that enhances the art i i appreciate that addition because i thought that was great and yeah and then all of ray's stuff storyline like search for destiny which relates exactly to what you just said greg like like the search for destiny this external valid validation that like everything has to be like where am i in this universe and even that like there is a little bit of winkiness of like you're looking for history in this universe but what matters is the future and what we're doing but like that you know the whole point which is redemocratizing the force getting the force back to what it originally was in movies four and five of not this like thing that you're just blessed with or born with but you can be you know you can just discover or have a natural proclivity for or study or whatever um and then create and that like in the end with with you know what luke chooses to do at the end like he is basically bequeathing the force back and the Jedi movement and everything back to that perspective on the generation because he realizes he is too steeped in the past to save it. He can contribute his power to saving it in one last gasp, but it's not his to keep or control or save and it's on to the next generation that treats it and views it a little bit differently. And of course, like it to like double down on the anti-war message and whatever else, like the final scene, A, the final scene, like I thought the dialogue was brilliant, shot for shot, it was brilliant, it was really excellent. But the fact that he's not even there while fighting 
and that he's using this power to transport himself, but not actually fight back, but resist without fighting back. Like, just, you know, presses all my buttons. My like, prediction was that that scene was going to be Story's favorite in a long way yeah. because he, he defeats him without fighting. I was like, oh my God, Story will adore everything about this. <laughs> yeah. One, one of the Easter eggs that I read about this movie is that yeah. one of uh, Ryan Johnson's uh, contrarianisms in making this movie was that, you know, mm-hmm. the old critique was that, especially in the prequels, that like everyone has a lightsaber oh, and there are a million yeah. lightsaber right. battles. Yeah. And there were literally zero lightsaber battles in this entire movie. There was ze- there is no point in the entire movie where a lightsaber hits another lightsaber. Oh, it never happens. Oh. Well, no, I thought Ray and Kylo Ren mm-hmm. very briefly did after nope. Ray. They began. tried to no. force pull the one inert lightsaber that blew up, and then they fought a bunch of Praetorian guards, but there was never a lightsaber. Lightsaber on a lightsaber. lightsaber. Which, by the way, I'm okay with for one movie, but as a huge lover of the lightsaber fights, there had better be some lightsabers in the next movie. I, I mean, I'm okay with that for one movie, but I don't want... The problem with the prequels was not there's too much lightsabers. The problem with the prequels is everyone in the world should not have a lightsaber. Like, I want lightsaber battles. I just don't want Yoda to be a goddamn Super Bowl bouncing around the room as if the only way for him to be powerful is to be powerful like every other Jedi is powerful. It's my same critique of the Hobbit movie where they're like, let's make Bilbo into a warrior. I'm like, no, let's make Bilbo into what he actually is, which is a freaking thief who um, gets what he gets because he's really good at being clever and stealthy, expressly not because he's a warrior like the dwarves, which is why in the Battle of Five Armies, he gets knocked out early on in the fight and is not even in the fight. Like, stop making everybody the exact same axis of hero. So I, but anyway, that, that that's, that's a little bit separate. So I, I do... I do want them to have some lightsaber battling in the third movie, in the next movie, please. Like, I'm okay with it for one movie, but I really would like some lightsabers, just not everyone in the world having one, that's all. Bold prediction for you. In the next movie, there will be copious lightsaber battles, and it will be revealed that Rey's parentage, as declared by Kylo Ren, was just something he said to mess with her. I do wonder about that. Yeah, I wonder about whether... I wonder if he's lying, yeah. Yeah. Make none of the series if it happens because, like, then it just is like birth and destiny is all that matters, and like, and that is just such a less interesting story to me than what yeah. what yeah. shattered. I'm not making a value judgment on that. I just think this is what JJ will do with what. No, yeah, it's possible, possible, but I I think that would be a real shame, and it would mean that like just like the four five six trilogy, the third like burns down everything that looked good. I don't, have, I don't have nearly as much hate as you do for Trilogy Jedi, which for a long time I actually thought was one right. of the better ones. I, I just, right. I don't understand. I thought Return of the Jedi was pretty good myself, but anyway. Yeah. But okay, I thought it was so, like... What else yeah, did you want to say about that? No, that's, that pretty much covers it. So like the final scene, I mean, I, I was enjoying the movie and it was like signaling some good stuff, but I still had some concerns about the other plot. Like the final half hour of the movie, I just was like elated the whole time. Like, I was just like, every decision, everything that happens, the plot blows up in their face. The woman had a plan to save them all along. Like, Luke does that at the end. Like, whatever. Like, everything was just gold. I was like, this is amazing. And that clinched it, where I just went out, like, totally euphoric. So, you know, and all of the island stuff before that had been, like, right up there as some of the best stuff. But the reason I put it above Empire is the last 30 30 minutes. I'm just like, this is awesome and it turns everything on its head and it was all thought out to begin with and i felt so i felt like that did tie all the plots together because even though like 
some of them felt like a side quest or whatever. It felt like a side quest because it didn't actually do any darn good. Um, and we still get some like 1% capitalism critiques in the casino scene and whatever. Like, was it a tiny bit pasted on? Sure. Did I still appreciate the message? Absolutely. So, you know, it's still in service of the overall stuff, especially with the, the war profiteering, traitoring stuff also as part of the larger anti-war and anti-corporate message. So, um, yeah, just loved it. Best, best in the franchise. Bodes very well for Brian Johnston having control of another trilogy. That's, that's all. That's all I got. Um, okay. Well, uh, I, I guess so much of it's been said already. Um, it is interesting that we somehow got through this closing in on hour and 40 minutes discussion, and yet we have not gotten to the biggest things that a lot of people objected to, which was Space Mary Poppins, um, the uh, with Leia somehow managing to pull herself back into the thing with Holdo, um, with the Finn Rose, you know, business, albeit we touched on a little bit. But I think that may be because we're focusing on other stuff, which is maybe, you know, as important as those things. Um, I, so I think I think part of the thing is that I was uh, on purpose avoiding a lot of the most common uh, critiques right, 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 that I've right, been hearing about this yeah. stuff. And I certainly don't want to, you know, come in here and be like, there are too many women in Star Wars. What is it with the women? Well, like, right, of Come course, on. Course, the, Star course. Wars that's, has that's, always that's, been about us having strong female characters ever since Princess Leia, you know, in the I mean, that's, Mon, that, Mon Mothma in the OG. Like, it's not right. a new thing. Right. I mean, that one is just a, that, that, but see, that's the thing. Like those critiques are just stupid on face. So I, I mean, like, I don't, I don't give a shit what the alt-right thinks about anything. So I, I don't, I'm, I really don't care. Um, like the thing for me, and this is the thing that, that I, 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 you know, I just don't think the movie is that important. And I think the problem I have is that it was invested with so much political weight from the very beginning that immediately everyone just read what they wanted onto the movie, which with predictable results, which is that the alt-right hates it. And a lot of my friends, my Twitter feed was blowing up with how it's the greatest thing they've ever seen. And I went in, I'm like, it's good, but why it has become the most beloved, wow, the most spectacular, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, I just, are you, you got to be joking because a lot of Russ's critiques, although I disagree with, you know, the latter ones, the earlier ones I thought were pretty cogent, like, and there are big problems that I have with a lot of them. I hate, hate, hate wasted time. I hate wasted characters. I hate wasted storylines. I don't think that, and I don't think, by the way, that that means you have to have an incredibly linear plot where everything serves the one thing, but I want there to be actual reasons that function as to why things exist. Interestingly, I found myself getting tired towards the end of the movie. I was like, this movie is too long. I wish the movie had ended a half hour ago. And interestingly, the entire Finn Rose casino scene, casino thing is about a half hour. If you had just cut out that, in my view, utterly useless portion of the movie, you would have made the movie much tighter, much more effective, and you might have actually then been forced to do something legitimate with Finn instead of having him waste time with Rose, who I am not shown is supposed to be important i'm told she's important why because she's got the necklace of her sister who died so i better like her or i'm a heartless bastard why should i think that some random engineer sitting in the bottom of the ship should be automatically allowed to go off and do awesome amazing things with everybody and be immediately accepted as being one of the heroes 
I don't know, but I'm told that because I have a necklace and I am I am a heartless bastard if I don't like this person. Uh, side note, uh, yeah. apparently the Cantico adventure was originally written for Finn and Poe, but it was, quote, boring in Ryan Johnson's estimation that way. So they created a whole new character to do that. See, the funny thing is that it is boring. It was boring whether Rose was there or not. Like it was just boring, period. So getting rid of it, and and that's the problem. I think story, the thing you made, this is Clea liked that section better than I did. And one of Mm -hmm. the reasons she said was precisely because of the 1% capitalism thing that you said, like this is why you're fighting. And I'm like, that's great. It felt like it was a pasted on, check it out, see the rich people, look, zoom in with your binoculars. Now you can see that there's also poor people. Like it was so ham-handed and so like just just obvious and punch you in the face with it that I was like, you've got to be kidding me. This is the reason that it's worth 30 minutes of wandering around. They literally go to this place to find a master code breaker, get arrested and get you know thrown into this jail cell meet Benicio Del Toro, who we're supposed to believe is important because he stutters and he's in the jail cell and he looks like a rogue, gets them out of the jail cell. They're like, all right, I guess we'll use this guy. Screw the master code breaker. Why don't you come with us and you be the guy that we do? And then are completely shocked at this betrayal. What a waste of Del Toro. What a waste of a character. What? You You just abandoned the master code breaker because apparently a secondary rogue code breaker is just as good? Are you joking? So that's... Part, I mean, I have a couple of things real quick. That part, I think, that I just want to flag is yet another thing where it's like in the traditional Star Wars canon, the rogiest rogi thing that you can do, the least expected thing that you can do of like go off half cocked and don't think about it and go with your gut is fetishized to the point of absurdity. And what I like about this is at every turn, they choose the most like, well, let's do the daredevil thing, or this seems to be working out, or the intuitive thing, and it always goes wrong. And that's what I like. And, you know, you can call it ham hand. Like, you know, you can say the whole thing is ham hand. I will believe that critiques are ham handed when people are listening to them. Like, when capitalism goes away, then I will be like, <laughs> now it's too ham to critique capitalism. Like, until uh-huh. people listen, like, I will still shout and be ham handed. Yeah. Like, yeah. So, but like, but like maybe he overdid that, but I thought that's what I thought. Now, yeah, did did that need to be Benicio del Toro? Maybe not. But like, it's fun. I mean, you know, Samuel L. Jackson was also wasted all hell and then. Oh yeah, for sure, like, for sure. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they, yeah, they join yeah. they join a group of characters that are wasted. I agree. Sure. With that, but but yeah, yeah like but so, just so, such. A, I mean, anyway, so. Uh, right. so I find that I find that whole sort of sequence frustrating. And so yeah. I'm going to explain when I get to this other big point, and then I'll make a point as to why I still like the movie anyway. The other okay. big point is, and I think, again, this is an example of a missed opportunity. Holdo and Leia, there is no reason whatsoever, and I like Laura Dern as much as the next person, there is no reason that we need to have a purple-haired Laura Dern as Holdo be told to us is important. Why? Because we're told she's important. But I don't shut up. She's important. But who? Shut up. She's important. And why Holdo suddenly, who inexplicably does not tell Poe that she has a plan? And you could argue, well, he's just been knocked down to a traffic cop, basically. Like, he's been demoted, so she doesn't have to share anything with him. Okay, she doesn't have to share anything with him. But the resistance is not a force of that of 25,000 people. The resistance at this point is down to, at that point in the movie, a couple of hundred people of whom Poe is arguably one of the top five most respected people they have. Regardless of whether Leia demoted him, the idea that then the Admiral should, or Holdo should, repeatedly 
like and irritatingly turn away and say, get the hell out of my face, such that a mutiny is almost guaranteed to happen is so staggeringly stupid to me that I find it hard to believe I'm supposed to respect someone who's that dumb about it. You don't have to share everything. All you need to say is, I do have a plan. End of story. You don't need to go anywhere else with it. And it has nothing to do with the stupid alt-right critique of, well, a woman, you're just making a feminist argument that women should. No, she's an admiral. He's not an admiral. If the argument was she's an admiral, she doesn't have to tell him, I would accept that were it not for the fact that this is not a normal military force with lots and lots of people. There's almost nobody left here. So, you know, at this point, they're not operating on there. This is a guerrilla force of a couple hundred people. And in a guerrilla force of a couple hundred people who have every reason to believe that they're going to die, where Leia is currently sitting in a coma, lying in a coma somewhere, you can't be like, I don't get to tell you this because of military protocol. There's 200 people left. Tell them the freaking, at least tell them there is a plan. So, but leave that aside. Holdo as a character, to me, is a complete waste. Why wouldn't you just give Leia, what Holdo does. If you have Leia, given the horrible and the tragic or, situation... Or Admiral Akbar. Well, okay, but yeah. Ad, but Admiral Akbar, you only care about because of a meme and it's a trap. Like, I didn't care about Admiral Akbar. Like, well, whatever. but like, if you're going to put him in the movie, died. he didn't do anything. Why'd you put him in the movie? A Why calamari died. It happens in seafood restaurants <laughs> all the time. I don't care. Like, I just, it doesn't matter. I mean, I don't care about Admiral Akbar. But, but here's the point. Leia, because of what happened to Carrie Fisher, Carrie Fisher is not going to be a part of the next movie unless we just do all CG. So to me, what is the best way to handle that? The best way to handle it is Leia gets to the end of the movie. Leia says, you go off and do this. Leia turns around and she flies the ship and does this. Why is this important? It's important because, number one, her argument was always, we just need to survive. And even heroes die because all that really matters is the survival of everyone that's left. And Leia does that. It matters because we get an actual real, you know, going out on top of Leia instead of whatever the hell they're going to have to do to deal with her in movie three. And good luck to J.J. Abrams figuring out how to do that without a whole lot of descents into the uncanny valley because Carrie Fisher is no longer with us. It matters because we get rid of a useless purple haired Laura Dern, who, again, is a good actress who's wasted in this role because she spends most of her time telling Poe to get bent and then flying a freighter hyperspace or not randomly into a bunch of other ships when we're like, okay, Holdo died. I don't care because I don't know why I should care about Holdo other than you're ordering me to do so. Again, telling, not showing. So Holdo is a waste. And rather than, so we end up having a weird, uncomfortable Leia still around, I guess. And then Holdo's dead, who we don't care about in the first place. When what you could have just done is had Leia do that sacrifice and everything else then locks into place much more consistently. So a waste of time to me with the whole Holdo situation. Also, I don't, as I said, I've not in either movie have I been a particular fan of Poe, who I just feel like is just, I'm roguish dude who's a really good pilot and therefore you care about me. I'm like, what's your character development? Well, I've, have I mentioned that I'm still roguish? And it's I another do another archetype. Um, it's another archetype. Man. Now, admittedly, admittedly, in the part where he gets down to the planet, I did like the fact that he's the one ordering Finn to pull off because it doesn't make sense to have, like, I get that. I get that that means that he has somewhat learned from his experience. I feel that it undercuts the message of the movie that we don't need to have always men making all the orders when literally Leia's point is, don't follow me, go follow him. Okay, so we are going back to the roguish guy after all, but make an argument that he's learned from his mistakes and whatever, that's fine. The problem I have with is most of that section, the Holdo and Post section, for reasons that Russ has already brought up and would never seem to be a waste of time. So 
And as I said, the last part of the movie, although I liked the part on the planet and I agree with the story about that and I loved everything to do with the Luke Force ghost, I don't understand why people are like, oh, there was such a lame way for Luke to die. I'm like, no, that's the most epic force thing you will ever see in your life. That was incredibly badass. That shows you how badass it is. And I don't think that he died because he was exhausted. I think he was died because he felt it was time to go. And I think he died because he felt he now could do more good as a force goes, just like Kenobi did. So I had no problem with any of that. I thought that whole sequence was great, but I was already exhausted from what I thought was an overlong movie. So why do I like this movie, having said all of that? I like it because I think the movie is mostly about Luke, about Rey, about the Jedi. That's like 70% of the movie, which I thought was brilliant. So I loved 70% of it. Then we get 10% with the casino, which is a waste of time, and I hate it and didn't need to be there. So I hated that, but that's only 10%. And then we have the other 20% of the movie, which is the whole sequence with the, uh, with the ships, which I don't love. I think it's kind of boring. I don't really like the Holdo thing, whatever. But there's some good moments. I do like the Finn Rose business about, you know, we don't, uh, we try to save those we love, don't fight those we hate. I like that. Like, did, that's, you, that's, did you buy that? that what, yeah, it I, seemed I thought to me I, that like at the end, they're like, by the way, there has been romance chemistry between us the whole time no Didn't you I know that audience because no, to me i, I never picked up on that at all i felt like that him. was all on rose's side i don't think it was on finn's side i did think it was yeah, weird that finn and ray become not a thing i think it's setting up a triangle it may be I, I don't know like it was there's some argument that i've heard that people say that hollywood can't handle black white romance but they can handle black asian i don't know i mean we'll we'll see i don't really know what i think about that but so that the whole 20 percent thing is you know so i felt like that was basically the 20 percent was like to me, like C minus, the 10% was an F, but the 70% was a flipping A plus. So if you put that all together, that's like a solid B, you know, like a B, B plus movie if you weight them appropriately, which was what I felt about the movie. Um, so that, and like, and the other thing I'll say about Kylo is I thought that Kylo was better in this movie. I, I actually preferred The Force Awakens to this movie, actually, but I thought that Kylo was better in this movie than he was in that one. And I actually, Adam Driver has grown on me a little bit. I still don't love him, but I did like the sequences with them fighting together. I did like the fact they're both reaching for the lightsaber and then it splits. I thought that was really cool. I thought there were a lot of good moments there. Basically, anything with the Jedi I liked. Basically, anything with the casino was a waste and everything with the ship was uh, eh. And so you put that all together and you get, to me, what was a good movie. But I didn't think it was world-shattering and brilliant. And I didn't think it was garbage and destroy Star Wars for all recorded time. And I just didn't understand why it was that big a deal. And I didn't think that it all relied on laser swords and the fact that his robot arm doesn't fall off and, like, hit the ground when he's sucked into the being of Force Ghost. So, like, I just didn't understand the vitriol on both sides about it. And I, I do wonder if that isn't partly because there is so much incredible political weight that's been placed on this movie that that's one of the reasons why you get this sort of fire and brimstone. Because well, I just, I think, you know, I think so anyway, the, that's the my vitriol, on it. The vitriol exists because it is a religion. And it's not like everyone on Facebook that I saw was like, why is everyone getting so worked up over a movie? Like, mm -mm, it's not a movie. It is the like, going philosophy of the cultural zeitgeist like whatever star wars says is the way that people live their lives and right that not, is what right. disney paid right. bought and paid for when they right. bought this property right 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 but i'm but i'm not even talking about a general why are people getting so worked up about it it's a story like i'm not even talking about lame stuff like that i'm saying that 
why did this movie as filmed create that kind of vitriol? You know, like, like a lot of what story said, I think you made some very cogent points story, but I just don't see them as like these hammer blows against the establishment star Wars. I, I like they're, they're fine. They, I see what they do. There are some departures, but I still think a lot of it is basically empire. And I think that's good because I think empire was brilliant, but I don't feel that that movie I don't feel that this movie is some enormous middle finger to everybody. And so that's why I just didn't think, I, I feel like people read into it there. You didn't do this, flip tables. You made women this, flip tables. Like, I just didn't think it was a flip table kind of movie the way that I thought, say, in a positive way, I thought that the Lord of the Rings trilogy were brilliant films, especially Fellowship. But I thought all three movies were excellent. And those were flip tables in a good way. And I thought The Hobbit was almost, The Hobbit movies were almost flip tables in the other way because they were such such garbage, re, like stretched out and like, don't get me started on those. You know, like, and so those were ones where I could really see people being impacted one way or the other. But I, I just even, and I consider myself a, I consider myself a Star Wars fan. I don't consider myself, and I'm probably not even as much of a Star Wars fan as Russ would be. I'm probably more in your camp story because I'm kind of evenly split between Star Wars and Star Trek for me about what is the sure. most. And I'm more a fantasy guy than sci-fi anyway, as I've said many times. But I do like a lot Star of- Star Wars is fantasy, it is not sci-fi. I know, I know. Space fantasy, right, I know. Yeah. But I've played, I mean, I've, I've also played Coder 1 and 2. I've played Knights of the, uh, I've also played- um, the old Republic, the MMO. So I've played the Star Wars games as well, and I really like those. Um, so I do like a lot of the Star Wars mythos. I like the messages of it, um, but I don't consider myself a, an overwhelming fan. Maybe if Peter Jackson had done the Lord of the Rings films and Two Towers was basically like, what if Sauron was misunderstood? Maybe I'd be like flipping a tables and I'd be like, what the <laughs> flip did you do to this? But, you know, maybe that's how I'd feel because those are my seminal works from my childhood. But I, I just don't see it as that weighted on either direction. I thought it was good, not, not brilliant. You know, honestly, like as someone as committed to the franchise as I was, like I didn't come out of it with that much vitriol. I more came out of it with like, I am... 0% looking forward to the next Star Wars movie, regardless of who directs it. I don't know what's left. I don't know what's left to root for in this franchise. That's like, a lot of vitriol, man. I don't, That's I just don't, it's not, it's not vitriol. I just don't care anymore. I just well, don't but, care. Okay, you had your, the love for it burned out of you. That's pretty strong reaction. I mean, my love for it has been slowly burned out since whatever, 1997, when the prequels started happening. Okay. Like it's not, it's not a new thing. But honestly, like I saw The Force Awakens, what I was interested in was clearly something that Disney had no interest in. Like maybe another 12 Star Wars movies from now, I'll get my movie about like the history of the Sith and like uh, Jedi artifacts and their meaning. Like maybe then they'll do that. But well, well, hold on, hold the phone though. They might. Cause you know, you know, the next Star Wars movie that's coming out, right? Is, is solo. solo. Yeah. I don't care. So well, what about, so, well, what, no, what I'm saying is that you don't care about that one, but that yeah. what that indicates is that the alternate parallel al alongside trilogies, because they're clearly going to make 4,800 movies. Oh, yeah. <laughs> in the universe because that's what they would do is they just print money and like no one stopped making superhero movies for some reason. Um, but like they are going to, all of the backstory, and I think this is part of why Ryan Johnson felt okay not doing backstory with this, is like all of the backstory is going to be filled in by history movies. So it's like Rogue One was the backstory on the Death Star thing and the things that don't add up there. And then Han Solo is going to be backstory. So you will get, there will be a Snoke backstory, I predict, yeah, within in about 10 a decade. years. Yeah, a decade. Yeah. Within 
10 years, there will be a Snoke backstory. It'll be called Snoke. And that, <laughs> right. That will probably up in Snoke. Yeah. You know, that up will be Snoke. <laughs> Snoke signals. <laughs> right. It, Oh God! So that will like those things are coming. Just Snoke just... on the water. <laughs> Where there's Snoke, there's fire. <laughs> oh God! Where there's Snoke, there's force. No oh, Snoke. God, that's terrible and funny. Uh, oh, yeah, I, I agree with a story about that. By the way, although I will say that um, I am probably the only person in the world who hasn't seen Rogue One. Uh, because I really don't want to be in ha- astonishingly depressed, so I don't feel like watching a movie where everybody dies. But I will at some point find my way clear to seeing it. Um, Spoilers. And, yeah, I don't. Well, <laughs> uh, yeah, <laughs> but solo, you know, like Solo Kenobi, which I'm really looking forward to. I do think that you have to remember that they are finishing up this overall arc with these nine movies that Lucas had originally conceived of, Russ. So my guess is that but this, this is not his vision anymore. Ryan Johnson, they, he gave them. Well, yeah, but he, I mean, whatever. Lucas like, gave them ideas for these three movies, and they're like, "Thank you so much, garbage." Well, Thank not entirely. That's not true. Like, You've because, done enough. Nah, that's not totally true because the last three movies were supposed to be about um, Han's kids, and and there that is yeah. what it's about. So I, I mean, I don't entirely agree, but I mean, the point is that the Ryan Johnson will get a new trilogy, and my to me. The, where the rubber hits the road with him will be will he do a trilogy which does what you say because if he does that great if he basically just does rogue one two three i'm not interested in that i don't want star wars to become another dark future where everybody dies and everyone's postmodernist because we get that all the time it is not a new vision of the future it's actually a very boring old vision at this point and so if he does that i'm not going to be happy about it but if he makes a recognizable star wars set of movies that deals with those jedi artifacts and then if he wants to descend and un- unnerve and create more. To- I mean, that's the thing, right? Like, as you said, the Jedi Sith story is much more complex than people give it credit for. So if he just tells the story, then he will be doing a lot of decentering what people understand about the Jedi part as it is. I mean, I'll tell you what, so. I don't think he's the director for that because from what I, just from the basis of none, nothing else than the dialogue in this movie, like it was... And again, I get it. It was written for the most mass audience possible. So there's just so much you can't include nuance for an audience that big. But I just didn't see the depth in the writing that would indicate anything interesting could could happen on a character level at all. I just think there was more nuance than ever before in a Star Wars film, like across the board. Like, yes, there may have been a pinky toe out of place occasionally, but I think there was holistically more nuance and sophistication than I've ever seen. <laughs> Shockingly, I I'm like... in the middle on this and think there was yeah. some nuance, but not, <laughs> right. not as much. Like, oh, God. Well, I mean, I, so generally, I think it, it is. It really, it really it did work out that way. Like, story was like, A. Russ was like, F minus minus. And I was like, right. B plus, B, yeah. you know, like... Yeah. So, and, and I, I think, you know, these are all, I think, reasons. I, the only reason I don't agree with Russ, the only reason, I, the only thing I don't agree with you in terms of an overall access point besides the, the let's, why don't they just fly ships into ships, which I really just, I think is completely wrong. But other than that, I, I think the only thing I really disagree with you on is I agree with Story that I don't think you can take a franchise and just pinky toe out of place it to death. Like, I just don't think you can do that. I don't think, especially when you have as much time and effort that has been put into these movies, I think it's unfair, partly because what you're doing in your mind is comparing it to movies that, when they came out, had no prior existing narrative, right? Like, when, the, when Star Wars The New Hope comes out, even when Empire comes out, the only real reference point people have 
are the movies. Like the novelizations don't start happening until after that. The, the certainly we don't have anything. We're way away from prequels. From you, know, you know what's funny we though? This, we have all of that stuff that's sort of in place. So you can't then go back and say, but wait, what about the following 650 nuanced items in these games, which did or whatever, which didn't exist in the first. You know, what's funny though. One of my, one of my best friends growing up, his dad was a screenwriter. And if you asked him what he thought about star Wars, and this was in the, early 80s right when right when it came out he'd be like oh come on he stole these three scenes from flash gordon this is kurosawa like he's literally cutting and pasting from sci-fi serials in every other scene in this movie like it's terrible that's what he said about the original well, star wars movie so yeah but i mean there, there's a little bit but that's true but i mean there are you know there's the famous there's no original plots you know the mm-hmm. point is whether or not you're repeating but, along the same oh action. sure and generally i agree with you but my point is and i don't know if this is possible at all given that everything is the umpteenth iteration of a thousand movies down the line from something that was once good 20 years ago but is it ever possible i mean maybe not for star wars maybe not for marvel is it ever possible for any one of these sequels to just be a good movie in and of itself without having to have referenced seven other movies yes like, can a movie stand on its own if i didn't know any of the other seven Star Wars movies, would this be a good movie? I don't think it would. Well, obviously nothing would make sense if there were well, not seven other Star say, Wars movies. It wouldn't in a way, it's kind of impossible to get away from Is it yeah. possible to make a sequel with this much built into it that just stands alone as its own successful movie? I, don't I would say yes. I would say, story won't agree with me on this one, but I would say Captain America, The Winter Soldier, which I think does stand on its own. I think it's a critique of... Uh, private i think it's a critique of surveillance it's a critique of big government it's a critique of um trust uh and belief that you know you just care about these people but it does so while not somehow undercutting trust itself like it critiques trust these people but it doesn't critique trust as a principle that you should uphold that um it creates the captain america movies in general by the way have taken a character which i always found to be very boring in one note and made him into a strikingly nuanced form of good you know like it's sort of hard to explain why but i think it does that very well so i think it was able to do that yes i think it's possible um you know, to do something like that, even in a big mega franchise. Hopefully, by the way, side note, hopefully Black Panther will do that too. I really hope so. Boy, do I want Black Panther to be a good movie and not just it's politically awesome for the fur because of the diversity of the cast. I really hope that it's also great. Um, yeah. I think there's a good chance that it will be. But uh, but I, I think, you know, I really want it to be um, really good as well. But I do think it's possible to do that. Yes, I think it could happen even within Star Wars. According to story, it already did happen just now. So I think it is possible that it could happen, um, you know, in a movie with Star Wars. But um, but I don't know if what you want is going to be possible in this arc. You may need to just sort of let, you know, see the next movie, be like, okay, that's the end of the nine movies and the only movies I really care about are four, five, six, and then wait for the new trilogy to start and if the, or the new set of movies. And if the new set of movies has all the same issues as you're describing with the old ones, not sort of affected by the baggage of these other ones, then I'll be on board with you about that entirely. But I don't think you can say that. I think you've got an incredible amount of history to contend with with that said, I think Ryan Johnson did pretty well sort of contending with that history, in my opinion. Also, my opinion, not my opinion, but a fact is that it's now two hours. So we've really <laughs> got to close this show, which is the longest MEP report we have ever it's done. It's good. Hey, we but, do it know. once every couple months. We give them two hours. I like this model for, for yeah, I don't as know long about as we're still hours. interested in what we're talking about. 
Agree. I agree with that. I'm not sure about doing two hours each time. But if you guys in the world out there liked what you had to uh, see and hear from us, if you want to uh, post comments about what you thought, whether or not it was okay that um, that Luke referred to his robot arm as a laser arm before it fell to a nothingness, because that's exactly what Russ said. If uh, if you think that was okay, then please uh, let us know in the comments. Please check us out at metreport.com. Please spread the word about the show. And uh, please check back next time when we will talk about, um, oh, by that point, uh, you know, maybe Kenobi uh, or something like that. The, the feedback we're going to get is going to be, this show is half an hour too long and Russ's <laughs> pinky toe. <laughs> totally not kidding. Hey, freaking men. Thanks a lot, everyone. Say goodbye, everybody. I think I just all Star Wars. Well, the last time I saw old man, he knew him. He was chasing they a don't female, have to look he knew him. Show is not going to go how you think. He shot past, I heard him say, She can't fly, but I'm telling you, she can run the pits of a kangaroo. But I don't She can't fly, but I'm telling you, she can run the pants of a kangaroo. Well, there is a moral to this ditty, um, better did da da da. Frost can sing, but he ain't pretty, um, better did da da da. Duck can swim, but he can't sing, nor can the eagle on the wing. Emu can't fly, but I'm telling you, he can run the pants of a kangaroo. Well, the kookaburra laughed and he said, it's true. Um, 